This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The Talk Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Homesdale Radio. Football Blogging Award Finalist 2015. www.holradio.net Hello and welcome to Homestay Radio. My name is Chris Hambling and I'm your host tonight as we look back at a week that began with an abject defeat to Sunderland and ended with a thrashing of Newcastle with the same side. With me tonight are Nick Gillard. Hello. Jed Holyoke. Hello. Terence Ford. Hello. And Patrick O'Quane. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> That's good. Well done. Or Pat, uh, Wick, Pat Wicks O'Connor. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, they'll be helping me review the key events of the week, but we also want to hear from you. Head to holradio.net uh, forward slash contact to find out how to get in touch. And Nick will be manning the chat room, which is holradio.net forward slash chat. Uh, as well as match reviews, we'll end the show with an exclusive chat with Chief Executive Phil Alexander. And we'll be back right after these messages. tells a story keep up to date with ours on instagram at homesdale radio hmm. i'm not sure the uh, jingles went quite right there just a little observation uh just to bring that up later on when talking to producer tom about his performance anyway um and you also forgot to readjust the volume so we could hear it but uh there you go that's just two minor things to begin the show with <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, just a quick little plug for the study centre. We're going to try and do some um, some more d- uh, detailed content um, with regards to getting them some, some proper support from the fans and raising the awareness of what they do. They've sold the uh, Eaglet programme at the last home game. I'm sure that'll be on sale at the next one as well. If you haven't got your copy um, yet for your, for your kids, do get that at the next home game. Uh, and we'll try and find out a lot more about them in the very near future. Um, just before we get going with the reviews, a quick quick chat, um, just to let you know, it's, it's been a while since I've been on. Um, in fact, in the time since I was last on, I've run someone over and been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, which is nice. And, um, and you've earned a nickname, Candles. Yeah, Candles. We, we've, we've all got our nicknames. We've got Wibble. <laughs> yes. I'm Dinky. <laughs> yeah. We've got Dried Up Husk. And you're Candle, because you used to get blown out all the time. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Cheers, Nick. I understand yourself and Joe had a uh, a breakfast date earlier this week. Joe, brunch. brunch. I don't know. It's just just brunch. Just brunch. I, I, 
I, I phoned him up because I was working in Gislehurst, and I, I, you know, I know he's not at work at the moment, off sick, um, not sick enough to. Anyway, I said, Do you want to meet down the road? He said, Yeah, there's a little Greek place, like a little Greek cafe. So I said, Okay, we're going there. And went Turkish, in. Joe. Oh, and right. you sat there, Turkish. And, you off, and you slagged off Turkey. And what <laughs> doing there's me sitting there with my head bowed. Anyway, <laughs> I just thought, for us, have you? I, I buy him, I buy him brunch, no worries. Ten pound burger. You did Ten say pound burger. Say, Joe, Joe, wow. say you were buying it. Is I, this I, I, happily paid? I'll buy this, it. Is this what um, Netflix and Chill was like back in the seventies? <laughs> <laughs> like it. Ten pounds, Nick. It's outrageous. Joe, Joe, you're not a man who likes to part with money unless you have to, are you? That must have been, must no, have no, been no, tough. No, no, no. I, I don't mind. I've never got any money. My family steal it off me as I earn it. I mean, I'll give it to my family <laughs> as I earn it. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the way? Anyway, uh, you've been all right, Patrick? You know, not spoken to you for a bit. Yeah, I've been fine, thank you. Uh, playing a little football, playing a little golf. Uh, Thanksgiving was Thursday over here, so we had a good Thanksgiving holiday. So I've been good, thank you. Yeah, I still don't quite get Thanksgiving. So you like it's like having Christmas, but without the presents. Is that right? Or uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, you get to go with the family, you eat. Yeah, it's not a great holiday. If you know the history of it, it's not a great <laughs> holiday to celebrate. But it is uh, Christmas without the presents. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, is um, Black Friday taking over from Thanksgiving for this kind of year? Because I, I saw a brilliant South Park about Black Friday today. Nah, it's, it's not that big anymore over here anymore. Most people oh, uh, shop online, so it's not like it used to be. It's everywhere here, isn't it, boys? Yeah, yeah. Every advert is Black Friday. Even today, they're getting Black Friday adverts. And it's tomorrow Cyber Monday. Because I got mixed up. I thought it was Cyberman Day. I bought an outfit and everything. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. He's back. Yeah. Yeah. That's... If, it, if it's still Black Friday, I'm not going to work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so angry with Nick. But there we go. Um... Chris, we are a football show. We are a football show. Just a reminder. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, let's get on with that. Well, the first place to start, obviously, we didn't do a, a, a podcast or indeed a show for the Sunderland game. I want to get our review. I want to be nice and concise with this. We don't want to hark back to that after such a great performance. But, you know, let's get into the detail of the Sunderland review right now. Forward reviews. Um, I don't, uh, okay. I mean, it was supposed. It seemed to go on for. I. I, I, I don't know what happened. That was supposed to just be a flush noise, and then that was it. We'd carry on talking. It was that, a long that flush. Was it was, was a that, long. It was a tr- troublesome one. You know. It was. It was <laughs> a bit that. Yeah, to be fair, that is an accurate representation of that the Sunderland game, a floater that you just can't get rid of. I'd open the window if I were you, Chris. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right, mate. Probably right. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's the end of the Sunderland review. Let's get talking about Newcastle. And obviously, we started up with the same team. Uh, what were your first first thoughts, Terence, when you saw we hadn't made any changes? Were you happy about that or not? I was happy about it because um, you know Sunderland came and sat behind, uh, sat deep against us, and it's not that surprising that we failed to break them down. It's not a new thing for us at Sellers Park. You know, it's a, it's a skill we're still learning. So to just start taking them out is going to damage confidence, I think. And um, he said beforehand that it was the same players, but with slightly different ideas. And um, it was a bit, bit more of a 4-4-2 at times, maybe. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it was the same line, the same 
personnel, but I think it was definitely a different shape and it worked for us. Patrick, your thoughts when you first saw the, the, the lineup? I had no problem going with the same lineup. I thought he might change it up a little bit. I thought he might bring in um, Shamak possibly for punching because there's been so much negativity about punching of late. And then people have also were getting on Balassi, but with uh, Sacco being hurt, it made sense for me to go with the same lineup. Um, I kind of thought that um, service aside, you know, Monday was really an aberration. So I thought maybe we just go with the same lineup and see how we go. So I had no problem with the lineup as it was. Absolutely. No, it was, it was noticeable that. Um the punch and started um, in, in a wider position. But there was, again, Balassi was, was the one who sort of made up the numbers in the centre and made it into a 4-4-2 at times. And particularly when you um, when you looked at us us breaking for um, for a couple of the goals, you could see that, that we very much did have two banks of four and then two, two further up. And um, it did seem to work pretty well, I have to say. Um, and, and almost from the off, uh, you know, we can kind of say that, um, so we did concede that at an early goal. But we actually we actually started okay. I, I wouldn't go along with Pardew and, and agree that he said we started well. I would say we started two teams started in a fairly even fashion. But you know, let's 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 get the go on. Yeah, both both teams are going for it at the start, which was good to mm. see. There, there was yeah. no caginess. You could see yeah. there were goals in the game, couldn't you? Yeah, definitely, Nick. And I mean, obviously, that's encouraging from our perspective, having seen us fail to break down a team that just sat there and gave us no space to see a, a team come. You know, come to Selhurst and actually try and attack us, which was a good thing. But go on, then, Nick. What was your What was your thoughts when you saw the uh, saw them go one up? Was it kind of a here we go again? The season's about to fall apart feeling. No, it was thank goodness it's only ten minutes in and we got time to sort this mess out. Um, and we went about it the right way. We just picked up, and you know, it was only three minutes, wasn't it? They, yeah. they, they were poor. We we played well, but they were poor. Oh, they were there. They were. Truly, truly terrible but, side. But to give them their due, they had their moments as well where they kept the ball and passed well. They, they just, I don't know what. Pardew, Pardew seemingly left a big piling steam of what's it, didn't he, when he left Newcastle? And you got a feel for their fans. I mean, yeah, you have... you, you're hearing all the stories about who's involved in the transfers, and you know, it's a lot of money to spend, isn't it? Yeah. No, you're right, and and um, again, we'll, I suppose we'll probably keep coming back to the topic of talking about Newcastle and. And what they've got. I mean, one of the things we were all saying at the game was, that, you know, you look at their their side. It's, it's there's plenty of very good players in that team, in that squad, in fact. Um, but they certainly don't play like a, you know, like anything like the ability they've got. Proof, you know, sort of promises. It's it was it was really bad. But that opening spell, it was, it was very frustrating goal to concede. Initially, we thought, you know, well, the offside flag's going to come. But when you see it back, it was um, it was truly uh, truly awful defending. I think. Um, it's ter- uh, Joe, you've obviously had a, a had a chance to see the goal. Um, and, you know what? What were your views on it? How did it come about? And what should we have done better? Well, firstly, um, I'd like to just say that I'm I'm pleased we've got the same team out for consistency. And I'd like to, you know, after that result, I can't see why it would change again. So, uh, so next time out, it'd be nice to see like an unchanged team unless we get an injury. <laughs> Um, the goal, I mean, it's just good forward play, really. I mean, he is a good forward, so you say, no matter what he does and no matter how much of an arse he makes himself look when he does score goals and then gobs off and does whatever he, whatever silly sign he was making in front of our fans. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I, I think it's a, a couple of two or three goals now we've conceded where the, the forward has actually been in between both our centre-backs that are quite tight together um, and, and managed to get away from them. I mean, it was it was brilliantly timed really and you can see why you know with with the right set um um you know with the right 
service that he would score loads and loads of goals. No, yeah. I, I do like him. I really do like him. Um, a little bit less after that silly celebration, but yeah, yeah good, we got, good goal. We got a view on that from, from Matt, who's got in touch on Twitter, at Coalfield7, who said that, is there a bigger Bellin than Papasise in the Newcastle team? <laughs> well, you um, know what, right? Yes, he there was, is. It, it looked like he was doing t- a timeout sign from like American Sports. Yeah. Which was really apt because then he didn't play for the rest of the game. So <laughs> it was. I actually heard. I heard that it was pretending to light a lighter because he had lighters thrown at him when he scored last season, and he oh, was, yeah. that's why he went there and did that. Oh, okay. But it was a you know he got poetic license, didn't he? Because he was booed for the rest of the game. Yeah, by his own fans. I mean, when, when your fans are singing, you're not fit to wear the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's really out with morale, mustn't it? Well, yeah, but you can kind of understand when they they, when they get served up that kind of rubbish, and it was properly rubbish. But um, no, look, that's, that's... I, I agree with Joe that you know Cisse is actually you know he's a good player, and and you know again in the right team scores lots of goals. But you know you don't like to see anyone that early in a game, particularly in a struggling team. You, you first thing you just don't go and give it to the opposition supporters because you're going to look an idiot, uh, and he certainly does certainly one. Well, no fans in the palace support from that kind of uh, kind of action, but yeah, look for me. For me, I I was livid with that goal um, at the game, and also still watching it back even after the win, really, because you know Delaney goes with him initially, um, and he just peels away from Damo and doesn't see it, doesn't step up. But at the same time, Dan's looking across and he's marking no one, you know, and he and he's stepped up. So it's it's a bit bit frustrating, and you know, I think the two of them at times. You know they, they do. They head everything pretty much that, that comes at them. They're great on interceptions. They throw the put their body on the line, throw themselves in front of shots. They're great. But I think sometimes they get a little bit casual, and that was an example of that. And I might be being a bit harsh. And I know Nick, you wanted to talk a bit about Scott Dam. Yes, he's been responsible for two goal, two goals in two games. One of them cost us three points. One, it didn't matter. But if if that was Hennessy, we'd be coating him. If that was anybody else, we'd be coating them. Dan has cost us two goals in two games. Luckily, yesterday's opposition were inept. Against anybody half decent, it would have cost us. Yeah, I see it's, the point. But... And I don't know. Don't want to bring up the whole "oh, we should be called up for England" thing, because you know it, we've seen what's happened to the form of of other players when they've had an England call up or or been talked about with England. So I don't know whether it's to do with that or whether I'm just trying to stir things up. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> I think you're trying to <laughs> trying to think. I think you're trying to stir things up myself. Uh, no, look, I think it's an interesting point because you go back to when he was being watched. Was it last season or the start of this? Um, he's been watched by England and um, had a had a terrible slip up. Terence, you're clever. Do you remember what that was? Yeah, it was against Aston Villa when Benteke scored. That's it. It was. Yeah. That said, so, he was he was classed for the rest of the game. It was one slip up in the game. It was just unfortunately that that one moment where they switched off led to the goal. We lost, and we lost. And we lost, and we won last week. Yeah, when we lost, yeah, and we lost. Yeah, but can I, I still haven't seen the replay of that. I haven't sell seen him. That. Sell him. <laughs> Our, uh, Scott Dan has definitely earned us way more points than he's lost us. I'm exactly. so I'm that. joking. I'm joking. He's quality, the geezer. Yeah. yeah. Can I can I discuss that goal on Monday though? Yeah, go on then, very quick. And I know we've just quickly. I mean, if you want to go back, obviously Blassie loses the ball and then Dan. But for me, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go there. Hennessy Hennessy comes out of the box and he stops. If yeah. I'm the defender and I see my the goalie coming out, I'm gonna I expect him to play the ball. And if he stops, I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna make a mistake, which will happen. I'm gonna get scored on. So for me, you want to blame Dan, and I agree it was an awful mistake on his part. He should have he should have hoofed it, but that's not how he plays for one thing. 
But Hennessy's got to do better on that play. He, he looked really bad. And then on that goal yesterday, not that he could have saved it, but could he at least move two steps and dole for it? He didn't even move for that goal yesterday. He was a brilliant do. header. He didn't move for that header. He hasn't moved for that header yet. He keeps doing that, and I can't take him much more. I really can't. He, he, he can't dive for anything. He can dive for it, but oh, I'm not yeah. having well, it. Well, actually, no. Anything, <laughs> I'm going to go back to that. Dove is the past tense of dived. In no, it's not. In the United <laughs> States. In the, in the United uh, States. It is. In the United States, it is. It really is. Patrick. Yeah, but, right, Patrick. He, didn't dive. he dived. Should have dived. T- tomato, it. tomato. Anyway, I, for, those, for those of you on the Acast app, we'll get Mikey to put subtitles <laughs> on. <after one. laughs> right, the, 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 the thing about keepers these days, they have to be not just a goalkeeper; they've got to be like a, a like a sweeper as well. And it's, yeah, I, agree. I, I agree with you, Patrick. That was, I think Dan was waiting for the scream for Hennessy to come out mm. and hoof that ball over right. the top of Block B exactly. from where it was. For that me, it, I, 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 I was at the time I shouted it as well. I was like. Either shit or get off the pot. Like he did neither. He just started to come out, then stopped, and he just—it was a joke. It was a complete joke. Yeah. No, listen, I—I I, can't—I can't do anything other than agree with that with, with what Patrick's saying. But in, in, and you guys are confirming that because for me, it's a really basic thing. You've got Dan has got his back to the rest of the pitch, whereas Hennessy's looking up the pitch and has got the full view. So he has to be. It's like a little bit like when you're taking a run at, in cricket. You know, the, the guy who can see where the ball's gone is the one who calls the run. And it's pretty pretty simple stuff about communication. Either Hennessy gets it or he doesn't. But the, but he's the one who has to make the call. Now Dan stopping the way he did. Um, I don't know. Again, you can't say for definite whether he got a call, whether he's just observed Hennessy moving and then suddenly stopping. And, I, but, that's what I reckon. I reckon he. I reckon at the corner of his eyes, he's turned around, he's seen him coming, and then hesitated. By the time he's hesitated, he's got to make the challenge because Hennessy stopped, and the challenge all all the, all the challenge done was literally let him hit the ball an extra five or six feet instead of hoof it. Yeah, and, yeah. and then he's put Defoe clean. Oh, it was a great ball through. On the, t- on the TV footage, you can see Scott Dan, they do a slow-mo on him and you can see him giving Hennessy evils. Yeah. He's no looking problem. back over his shoulder at him. Um, Nick? Yeah, in the chat room, wholeradio.net forward slash chat, Booted Eagle has said, wasn't Damo also at fault yesterday then? And Yannick and Hennessy on Monday. I think he's accusing me of uh, making Dan an escaped goat on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Dan or, or indeed Hennessy. But, um, I look, you know, there's, there's always imperfections. And whenever you concede a goal, uh, you can always look at a variety of reasons why it was. We're criticising yeah. centre-back pairing to a point and we're, and we're talking about Hennessy not moving. But I suppose, Joe, you can go back to, to Punchin being absolutely done on the wing and not getting a challenge in. Uh, what were your views on that? Um, yeah, I mean, he, I, I would say mugged him, but he, he, he made him look, he made him look silly. And, and the thing was, he was late to turn around after, after, I can't, I can't remember who it was, but who, who was the Newcastle player that, that had the ball that yeah, crossed man. for the goal? Yeah, man. Okay. Well, what he did is after he got beat, he didn't turn around and, 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 and go after him. It was, um, but anyway, that, that, that's probably all he did wrong. And so, and like I said, you know, I've other things to say about punching um, uh, about the game, so I'm not going to cane him for that. No, no, not so. You know, he was. Well, again, we'll probably talk in a little bit more detail. But he, he's you done know, by a bit of skill, really, wasn't yeah, he? So. Yeah, yeah. Look, and we know we know his strength isn't getting a tackling. Certainly, he's not right. his strength. So, do you, do you think he um he played better out wide punching than he did does centrally? 
weirdly, yes. And and that might be again. I think Patrick's brought this up for a number of times, and, and certainly some other, some some others on on the uh, on the panel have said in the past that he's been affected by the inclusion of Kabai in the middle. Yeah. Right? And getting almost getting away from Kabai did seem to help. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and the other thing is, yeah. And the other thing is, he didn't he didn't slow the game down from out wide either, because he had he had. Um, it was it was brilliant the way the front three worked actually because they all were exchanging positions and I said front three I mean Wickham, Balassie and Zaha because you had you had Wilf getting really far forward and you had um, Wickham peeling left and peeling right on a couple of occasions so you know Punching didn't have to have to, have to go down the wing go down go down the side and try and get round people uh, he was able to play a sort of almost his natural game if you like Patrick. Uh- yeah, I agreed. But you know, the first thing I think slowed him down for me was Suarez. He and Suarez had a major problem communicating yesterday, uh, just as far as like getting simple balls up to feet. Sorry to play the ball 50 yards ahead of punching, but you know he wants the ball to his foot. So, But that aside, I agree with you, Chris. He played a lot better, uh, more outside and away from Kabai. So that might be something we're looking forward to uh, you know, going forward. You made a noise, Terrence? Were you about yeah. <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> I, was, I talked about it a lot after the Sunderland game. So basically... Punchin's been given that responsibility. We all expected Kabaya to come in and play the number 10. And he's come in and, and he's replaced Jednak, basically. And Punchin's been given that responsibility to unlock defences in behind the striker. And he's just caved under that responsibility a bit for me. He's just never really been able to do it. Teams have started to figure him out and they're getting much, much closer to him. So I think it was wise yesterday putting him out wide just to get him back into a a role that he knows very, very well and just take a bit of pressure off of him, take a bit of responsibility off of him for a game because he was he was terrible on Monday night and um, I thought he was far more effective yesterday. Yeah. That's a really positive move and, and I like that, that, we, that we're that we seeing these sort of tactical changes from, from Pardew that, you know, he recognises things because there's nothing worse is there than thinking, you know, I can see that, we can all see that, why can't the manager see it? But he, you know, pretty much he, he picks up on everything that, that, that fans pick up on. And, um, you know, I say, like you say, it was, a, it was a world away. A lot of players were a world away from their performance on Monday night in, in the game yesterday. Um, you know, and, and yeah, Joe, last last little bit on punch. Um, yeah, I'll, ju- I'll just, like I said, I've, I've always said when he's played well, I've, I've always said so. I've not just, people think I just go after him for no good reason. And that's the, and that just, totally isn't the truth. But let me tell you, that ball that he put through for Yannick early on, that, that, that 50, 60 yard ball that he played out towards the, the right back, but gave him a run at the right back. Um, he, you know, it was, it was bent two foot on, off the floor um, with the outside of his foot to send Yannick away was the ball of his life. Seriously, if he played balls like that this season, if he'd have tried to play balls like that this season, he would have been a, a much more of a positive than than a negative than he has been. You know, he, he, and I think just literally with that ball coming off, you could see his shoulders, his shoulders went up instead of just being that. You know, just sloping around and, and, and looking more miserable. You can see that some of the passes he had when they came off, he was it was much more. I think what he did was he used the ball quickly instead of get caught with the ball. And I yeah. think that's and that's been his problem this season. People have been on him. They've been close to him. And with Newcastle being as bad as what they were, they, they weren't on him straight away. And he got that little bit of time. But he was much more proactive, much more positive. And you, and you got to see a really positive punching. And when a positive punching's playing, we're more positive. And he acts as another attacker instead of the owners just being purely on on Yannick and Wilf and, and now Wickham. 
You know, he adds when he's positive. It's another, it's another attacker. So he gives us four instead of three. And I was really pleased about him yesterday. And like I say, the quicker he uses the ball, the 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 uh, the, the the better he's going to be. And I was I was really pleased with him yesterday. As much, no matter what people say, I was really pleased with him. Apart from a couple of little things, but you know, it's just going to be. It's just going to be like. I'm, I'm pretty sure his next game will be better or, you know, good again. But I was pleased for him. Yeah, and uh, some good alliteration in there. Positive punch and playing, I enjoyed. But um, they came pretty pretty close to scoring <laughs> as well. Um, would have been an absolute screamer of a goal. Uh, Nick, you wanted to speak in the middle of that? Yeah, I've got some stuff in the chat room. Um, Guest says, punch is effective seeing the play better from the wide position. Also thought MacArthur got further forward than normally support. Yeah, quite right there. Two goals. Uh, booted Eagle, punch is consistent. He will really start playing after Christmas. Well, we've said that before. A few people have up his sort of post-January records. He's always done better in the second half of the season. Um, and Cool Eagle 89, Punch will score more out wide when he comes in on his left foot. But we lose out defensively when he plays there. So, yeah, interesting. A, interesting points, definitely, yeah. Um, we've had a few uh, messages in on Twitter as well. Uh, a couple, couple of them about the, um, the argument over whether or not Dove is in fact a word. Uh, Lucy, often of this show, obviously, just... Um, as it is. in support of Patrick that uh, on Wikipedia that looks like. Isn't it Doesn't a bird? Matter. Isn't it's it a bird? It's the part. <laughs> yeah, dove, yeah. Turtle dove. Tomato, tomato. That is the North American usage word for the past of the tense of dive, which I don't know. That's where I live, by the way. Brent Morgan's got in touch. Uh, it says the verb to dive is not irregular. <laughs> I agree oh, with Brent. Yeah, uh, Nick good. Philpott got in touch to talk more about football <laughs> and said that uh, it was a much better game by punching, but he still thinks he could do with the rest. Thanks for getting in touch, ladies and gentlemen. Um, uh, before we go off punching, he's cool. cross for, cross for Balassi as well from out oh. wide left. Beautiful. Yeah. And Balassi's movement as well looked like a centre forward. He did it a few times in that game, movement where it was just peeling off of his defender, making very, very good runs. I thought, I thought he was excellent as well yesterday, but we'll come on to him, I'm sure. Definitely. Uh, Patrick? No, I was going to follow up on the Balassi point. Um, I just thought that just the way that we played, I think the, the way that Pardew set up was, was really uh, interesting. The way he had, um, we overloaded the right-hand side with Balassi and Zaha going at, a, a, I call him Dummy or Dummet. And I thought that really helped out. And Terence is absolutely right. Um, the last through the middle, as long as he has a striker ahead of him, it's excellent. I mean, I didn't think I'd ever say that, but playing through the middle with him with a str- strong striker is going to be a, a major, major uh, plus for us this season. Nick? Um, Patrick's been spoiling for a fight about Balassi. I'm going to say yes, he had an excellent game yesterday. So did a lot of other Palace players. Just going back to Jason Punction. Wait, wait, is that back if, 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 now? No, if he if he if he joined us and gone through this poor run of form, we'd be saying what a useless buy. The frustrating thing with Punction is we know what he's capable of, and it's just we need to get that consistency out of him. And the same with Belassa. Yes, he had a fantastic game. I said to the bloke in front of me, I hope he doesn't score a hat trick because that means we'll see nothing from him for eight games. <laughs> it's like he used up all his. No, but he did. He he, he does go missing, and and that's what's so frustrating. And if we're going to, we're seriously. If we're serious, yeah, but this is one game where he's done well again, Patrick. If we're going to see Palace staying in sixth, eighth, thereabouts for the rest of the season, these players have got to be more consistent. We know what they're capable of on their day. They're brilliant. Wickham yesterday, absolutely fantastic. Now, was it because he was playing Newcastle and he's an ex-Mackham? I don't know. Or is it well, he's won his six games or is he finally 
finally sort of hit the, Nick, hit the formula Nick, with us. Nick, Sorry, I'm ranting. To, yeah, can you stop trying to cover every single subject to talk about in one one updated <laughs> sentence that'd be great no but is it but but, it, but it's all linked and yeah i know we're going to talk about the other people but it's it's just it's just one game so yeah yannick has just... got four goals in five games right and of those goals nicholas winning goals. goals right exactly <laughs> west Brom yeah. winning that's... goal yesterday winning goal but let's cross over that it's not a big deal it's only no, let's 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 talk about what the difference is for balassi because there's no doubting yes. that by his own admission He's not had a great season so far. He's talked about missing pre-season with an injury and finding it hard to get involved. He's had, you know, the family bereavement, losing his father and having to take on responsibility. There's lots of things off the pitch, you know, that have affected him. Um, but, you know, he, he's he's getting better. We've we've picked up on it, a little, you know, in the, in the last few weeks. He's started to, you know, started to look more involved. and starting to look like the Yannick of old. We've seen against Liverpool, we saw him have a... You know, to properly run up people, you know, use his pace, which he hadn't, hadn't done for a while. Uh, you know, took a step back, like most of the team against Sunderland. But yesterday, it was, you know, he was, he was excellent. And as Terence has quite rightly observed, it's in a in a different role. He's he's developed the sort of, you know, the movement and the instincts of a, of a proper forward. You know, okay, we still like to see him on the wing. We still like to see him getting crosses in. But he's starting to show with experience in that role that he's learning and developing. And I think. You know, Balassi, you can talk about the, the fact that, you know, his, his scoring rate isn't great. But when when it's, you know, he's, he's been trying to add that to his game. And we're now seeing it. We are seeing him add goals to his game. It might be, you know, it might only be a flash in the pan and he might go back to his old ways. But I don't think so. I think we've seen a real change and some real development in his finishing. Patrick. Yeah, the thing is, Chris, also, I think the whole thing with DR Congo is an interesting uh, point. He plays a different position for Congo. People always make fun of the fact when he comes back from Congo, he scored like two or three goals. And he does. He scores a lot of goals for Congo. I, I watch some of the matches. A lot of assists. He plays, he plays much higher up the field and more central. And I think Padu is starting to see that in him. That, you know, obviously part of it was when we didn't have a striker. He was up front. But like I said, based on yesterday, the way he played yesterday, he can definitely play more through the middle. He's very strong. A couple of times he broke so quickly and was going one-on-one with some of the defenders, Colacini in particular. And he's so, you know, he's just developed so much more. He's not just a winger anymore. He'll play the wing, but I really think his, his future is more playing down the middle because of the strength that he has. Of course, he's not a great finisher, but as you're watching yesterday with the two goals, he's getting better as a finisher. And I really think this is the beginning of a brand new player. He's not the same player as last year. He just isn't the same player. I can just tell he's, got diff- he's different. And again, you make a great point. His father passing away, you know, uh, being away, being injured, etc. That slowed him down. But I think we're really going to see a different player who's going to really come on to be a very strong player this year. I, I hope so. And, and for me, the, the real trick is that you don't want to lose what he's got in terms of being able to take someone one-on-one and run into space with, you know, and break, ma- you know, hugely quickly. But you right. can do that as a forward as well if you run the yeah. channels the right way. And again, if you've got support up there, and we, we will talk at length about Wickham shortly, but... You know, he had Wickham around him, which you think you almost want someone strong and then, you know, someone quick is what you can't have. Well, you've got someone in Balassi that's strong and quick playing with someone in Wickham who's strong and, and not, not a snow slouch either. Um, it's a good it's a good little system we saw yesterday. Whether it will work against everyone, I don't know. Uh, Joe, you've got some comments on Balassi? Yeah, no, just very quickly, I'm just seeing our chat with the Palace Forever. Have we just read that tweet out? It's in a winger's DNA to go missing? Well, the thing is, you can go you can go missing as a winger, but when you're up front, you can't. Yes. And I think that's giving him that extra responsibility of, of being on the end of crosses. He's basically being told, look, we're going to fire in loads of crosses. I think we had, was it 19, 18, 19 crosses yesterday? 
a ridiculous amount. So, but um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm really pleased for him. And, and like I say, the, the extra responsibility, I think it was him and MacArthur um, could have been either or for, the, for his second goal. Um, but yeah, really, really pleased for him. Yeah, I thought um, our very own Ben Nagel's piece in the Daily Mail on, was it Friday? Yeah. It was really good with them. The Give way they Zaha. were both, yeah, Belassi and Zaha were both talking about how they've been learning the movement and getting on the ball more because Zaha was sat, he actually referenced saying, I don't want to go missing in games. <laughs> I've, I've been teaching, I've been taught how to make the movement that means I can get on the ball more. So obviously Pardew is very aware of that and I think it's reflecting in their touches in the last few games that they're seeing the ball a lot, lot more. And that's basically what you want. If we're going to be effective breaking teams down, you want Balassi and Zaha on the ball as much as possible. I know, so that was you're right. That was an excellent article by Ben. If you haven't seen it, just uh, do a quick search, Belassi Zaha, and uh, and the Daily Mail, and you'll find it. Um, but yeah, it was a great article, and he is taking credit for the fact they both scored, and has promised to find Connor Wickham <laughs> and interview Connor Wickham this week, just so you're so. You're, um, no, it's um, yeah, you're right. It's great. It's it's people being coached and people being managed. And we've talked about that a lot, particularly with with Wilf. Um, saw how angry Wilf was to be substituted yesterday. You know, really disappointed because he knew. You know, Newcastle were there for the taking and he was playing and enjoying himself playing in his base. The yellow card for the for the dive, which we'll talk about in a bit, um, probably was the reason he got subbed. And he, yeah, so was that seemed weird to me, though, because he's now out of evidence. You might as well just leave him on where Kabaya, once the game was won and he's on a yellow in the next one, on four yellows. So I thought it would have been wiser to take Kabaya off to save him from getting a yellow, but... Fair point. It was, um, yeah, that's, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, I didn't realise that Wilf was suspended for Everton until after the game. Maybe, maybe Pardew didn't either, I don't know. But, um, yeah, no, let, let's, let's get into talking about the goals, though, obviously, because the last thing we mentioned goal-wise was we were 1-0 down, and, and that sparked everything else off. But, obviously, the, the, the turning point in the game for me was obviously the luck to a point we got in that in that first that first goal. But I, thought, I think the first goal showed us what the team had been working during the course of the week. It became more and more evident as the game wore on. Now, the, for me, I've just written in my notes, we had a shot. Um, for me, that's the biggest thing you can say about that first goal is MacArthur was on the edge of the area with the ball at his feet. He shifted it and he had a go. You know, we've, 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 we've overplayed of late and we've got this tendency in, in the games where we're struggling to knock the ball, take the ball in the centre, be within range of the, for a shot, then knock it out wide again and put a, put a cross in that's way too deep for anyone to get onto. That's kind of our default setting and we we stopped that yesterday and we got players in support from the middle in particular it was um uh macarthur breaking forward but you saw it and you know kabai was getting was, was sort of sitting back and let, letting the other midfielders break and that was that was the key thing for me you know punching was in support belassi was moving around wilf was getting inside and, and yeah like i say macarthur was up getting shots and ended up with two goals so it was it was much much better i thought much much better um Sorry, Joe, you wanted to mention something quickly? Yeah, no, I noticed we, we've been the victim of, of a, a, a lot of goals uh, against us over the last couple of years, and that's teams getting to the byline and pulling it back to the penalty spot, not trying to go in between the keeper, like cross it square, but pull it backwards. And I noticed that a couple of our goals yesterday, were, with, especially with MacArthur's, was, was Wickham was further forward and he, he pulled it backwards. Um, yeah. And again, the same with for Wilf's goal. The ball was was from Wickham again. Was crossed backwards past you know. But this the the halfway line side of the of the penalty spot. Instead of trying you know where we've 
put a lot of crosses in and they've been sort of fodder for goalkeepers to catch all the time. We, we, but basically what, we, what he must have said to him was, I want the middle, you know, like I say, the, the midfield players to get involved. And that means that when we, you know, don't just look for, for, for Will for, or, for, uh, or for Yannick all the time. You've got to look for other people. And, and, and by that, you cross it to the, to the edge of the penalty area and I want people there. And that was in abundance yesterday. There was we always had for the first time in ages. You know, we always saw myself. Oh, the ball's gone there, and we never have no one there. We yeah. always had someone there. Yeah, yeah. That was you're absolutely right, Joe. That that was a huge difference in games previous to, to to this game. It was just it would be crossing into space, you know. And like I said, we do we have this tendency to try and hit the back post and head across, but we never had enough people in the box, and that was really in evidence against Sunderland. But and it's great in a way, you know, that Sunderland defeat could change our season. It, it should have been a relatively easy three points, but to lose the game in the manner that we did really. And Pardew said in his press conference, well, via Keith Millen, said that, um, you know, that they had spent the week working on attacking movement and getting support to the uh, to the forward players. And Wickham, you know, Wickham led the line brilliantly. And this this was, you know, the first assist, if you like. I believe he's only probably going to get credited with two. He should be credited with at least, you know, at least the three. But um it was, um, I don't know, for me, I, I'll get your opinion on this, Terence, because it's, uh, Colaccini was someone we were linked with at one stage, but um, the sort of long bouncing ball forward, I was a bit surprised that uh, Colaccini didn't deal with it at all. Wickham did well, but the initial bounce, they didn't, neither of them actually went for the ball. Um, but it was, mm. it was just a bit odd. But what do you think about Wickham's play there? Um, well, have you heard Newcastle fans talk about Colaccini? Like, they... Have you? <laughs> There, he's a year and a half past it, according to all of them. Um, yeah, it was a it was a weird scenario, but as soon as the ball's bounced, I think uh, Connor's done really well to just get his body between the defender and the ball, and he's hold, held it up really well. And there wasn't much desire from Colaccini to try and actually get involved, was there? It was quite an easy holder for Wickham, I thought, but he's teed up, teed up MacArthur well, and that's the sort of play you're going to want from him. The key thing for me was the fact that he got his head up and looked. You know, there was no mm. not playing the ball in blind. He just, you know, that's and he, he did that did that for the second goal. The Saha so, goal, yeah. Well, for all three, all yeah. the all the first three goals, he was he's very aware of what's around him. Yeah. So again, we'll, we'll go straight on to the second goal, which was um, obviously Balassi's first, uh, and that was a run from Zaha through the middle. Uh, he played Wickham in on the right hand side, and this time, obviously, drilled it across the six yard area. No one touched it. I mean, awful defending, really, other than that little flick off. Uh, was it Collagini? I think. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, obviously Wilf sort of waved a foot over it and then Balassi's just smashed it home. Uh, but again, yet once again, it was um, it was great from Wickham. But the thing I wanted to focus on for that is he actually won the ball off Colback uh, to start that move. Um, you know, got just out-muscled Colback, nicked the ball away, you know, and then he's the one later on making the run to uh, to put the ball in. And, and it was a great, great goal. And we did that all, all game, Nick. One of the most impressive centre, good old-fashioned centre-forward performances, wasn't it? He, was, he held the ball up. It was, dare I use the word Murray-esque, but he, he had strength. He, he knew where everybody else was. He knew when to hold play up. It, it was a terrific, terrific performance. And he's now set his bar. And we need to see that every game. We've seen that he can do it, albeit against the shambles of the defence. But, you know, I expect more from him now, now we've had that performance. Oh, definitely. You you want you want consistency, and you know that's that's the interesting thing for me, just to see what he'll, what he'll do next week. Because we've seen what he can do. This, you know, he did it against Chelsea. Um, I think he did it off the bench against Norwich um, as well in, in the first game of the season. And Liverpool. And Liverpool, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, Who knew he was a playmaker? 
<laughs> well, there you go. But it's again for him, it's it's confidence, and you could see. Yeah, he, he missed a goal for it to be the sort of perfect centre-forward performance. Um, that's not to, to slag him off in any way. I think, you know, he had a couple of opportunities. There was one sort of drilled in low cross that he'll be annoyed he didn't get a bit more on. And then let's not pay too much attention to the shot towards the end before he was substituted. We sort of took aim from range and, um, yeah. I think just, the, uh, after the game, and he was in his interview with Chris Grierson, Chris Grierson, I think, has accidentally asked a really like prominent question of him. Was saying, "Are you happy? Um, how great is it to play with such great wingers?" And Conor Wickham has said, "It's new to me. I've never played with out-and-out wingers before." So this is still a massive adjustment period for him to, you know, get used to playing with two bombarding wingers who are going to put balls into the box for him. What he's used to being playing as is the lone role centre forward, which he did so well yesterday when the ball was being played into him from central areas and so on. But when he actually starts to gel with the wingers and starts to understand, and that's part of the reason why when uh, we signed Wickham, I really wanted us to keep Murray so Murray could actually tell him how to get on the end of crosses from Zaha and Balassi. It was a shame that that never happened. But when it actually starts to click for him and he starts to read their play, the goals will come. I think that's a that's a really good observation. I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it like that. That's yeah. He he. That is the, probably the one the one thing you could quite easily observe that he doesn't necessarily get in the right areas. There was a cross in the first half. I think that MacArthur wasn't far off getting in on the end of exactly uh, in the middle, and he he should have been in that position. Uh, but he was actually stood off quite near the penalty spot, a little bit, well a little bit further back and to the left. Um, so that was yeah. That that's a really good observation, uh, Patrick. Yeah. Another good point that Terence made is, is about the Murray issue because um, what Murray had said, and I've heard it in the past before, with, with Yannick and Wolf, you don't really quite know when they're going to cross the ball. And it took Murray quite a while in our whole championship season when he scored those goals to kind of get a feel for when the ball is going to come across. I think that's what Wickham has to kind of uh, figure out. When you know when and where do I get into the box? Because uh, you're right, that, that cross, I actually thought watching the game yesterday, that was him on the end of that cross. I didn't realize it was, it was MacArthur because if that was Wickham, he would have scored. He's about you know, half a foot taller than MacArthur. So when he gets into the end of those crosses, which by the way were much better than uh, than the Sunderland crosses, you could just tell they worked it out all week and the deliveries from Punchin and Soiree and, and Yannick and Wolf were so much better yesterday. It's good to see that and I think once Wickham figures that out, he'll be a much better player and he'll score tons of goals. Yeah, on that cross, Wickham just stands there where what he should be doing right. is it's, bomb into the near post yeah. Or peeling around the back of a calf in case it goes over him. Where, him exactly. Yeah, but he just gets caught ball watching. He doesn't gamble that Balassi is going to put in any sort of cross. Which, when you're playing with Balassi and Zaha, you need to gamble that they're going to get yeah. a cross in. If he goes near post there, he doesn't score obviously because it goes over him. But if he goes round the back of Macarthur there, he's got a tap in at the back post. Yeah. So those things, those are things that he will learn from playing with them. I'm sure. That's only going to work from open play for him, though. He has to remember that we got Scott Dan coming in at the far post, and you don't want to be in his way. <laughs> or Delaney yeah but, but, but he is Scott I mean I can't believe that the Premier League haven't worked Scott Dan out yet we just come you know it's just a, a far post but anyway I, I'm really really pleased for, for Wickham he had a good game some uh, comment in the chat room Nick yeah Dweeb said it's his first decent game for us Palace forever Wickham's match fitness had improved so much from the Sunderland game cool league at 89 Wickham only lost the ball once in his 80 minutes and was immense and three assists. Wait, sorry, Very did good. someone say that it was his first decent game for us? Yeah. Dweeb. 
get a car. Oh, come on, dweeb. <laughs> we're, we're, uh, Stamford Bridge, we've all watched the team. We've all watched the exactly. replays. So, uh, exactly. You didn't have to be there to see how <laughs> great he played in that game. He was masterful in that game. Oh, I, no, I, I completely well, agree. He was superb. But there you go. I, um, you know, he's, he's had his critics this season. And, and I think they people have been very, very, very quick to get on Wickham's back for no real good reason. Because he, he simply hasn't been fit long enough to make any kind of a judgment on him. You know, and when he has played, you know, played a full game, he's always he's always contributed. Other than the Sunderland game, which I think it's fair to say everyone had a poor game, and you can't really single an individual out in that game for being, you know, for being poor. No one really, no one really performed. So there you go. I think I think people have been harsh on Wickham. I think what we saw yesterday, you know, is is a huge stride in the right direction for for people to get properly on his side. But you know. Again, but then you go, you know, we'll be approaching a, a transfer window soon enough. And I imagine, well, I suspect we'll be bringing in further competition for him. That, that's my, my gut feeling. So um, he's also not got long to properly establish himself in this side and start weighing him some goals. So he'll feel that pressure too. But that's what it's all about, you know, at the top end of uh, the table, where we are at the moment. So anyway, we've talked about a couple of the goals there and, um, you know, and Wickham's role in that. Um, in between goals two and three, we had the uh, Zaha dive situation um what do you think about that uh i also you know the game i i said i guarantee you absolutely guarantee you that when we watch, we watch that back because it looked a dive from the stands but i said i guarantee you when we watch that back there's contact now there is contact but you know having watched it i have to say i think the uh, the yellow card was correct um any uh, differing views on that no <laughs> no no, no. Um, no, it was too far for me to see. It was in the opposite corner. Um, but, I'm, I'm going to go for the um, Arsenal manager defence. So I didn't see it. If if that's Eden Hazard, it's clever play. If it's Wilfred Zaha, it's a yellow card. But Terence, this is this is what I'll say though, because uh, I watched it in the you know the my favourite bar in New York with a bunch of uh, Palace and Newcastle fans, and when it first happened, I'm like penalty. When he, I saw the replay, I put my head down in shame because the Newcastle fans started laughing at me, and it really, it, it's a shame because that's not Wilf to me. I mean, late one in the, you know, late one and a half, I think, or maybe late on in the game, he got a similar foul that was a clear cut foul, and he wasn't called. And I think it's because he don't, no, he no. died. <laughs> sorry, exactly, he hey. died that first time. And I think that's, you know, again, Chris, you're right. There was that contact, but the contact happened. Then he goes down, you know, about, I don't know, half a second later. So it do, it's not good for, for Wolf to do that because normally he just doesn't do that. I mean, the penalties he's got for us this year have been clear penalties. In, you know, maybe one I could kind of, but that just didn't look good. And I, and I, and I hope he doesn't bring that in part of his game. But Terence is right, you know, other players is clever. But with us, we, we can't afford to do something like that. Just can't. No, I agree. I've said it. I said it after the Leicester game. I don't want, I don't want to see him go down there. Right. Uh, mainly because he's in the penalty area. He's beat the last defender and he's one-on-one exactly. on one if he just carries on. But I don't want to see players doing that, but it does just get so annoying when, you know, it's it's the Eden Hazard penalty scenario when we lost 1-0 at Stamford Bridge last season. It was clever play by Eden Hazard to hang his leg out there and make the contact. Yeah. But right, Zaha wasn't does. it cheating? It exactly, yeah. exactly. That's, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. But Zaha does it and he gets booked and it's a dive. Did, yeah. What was the other, the other game? Um, the Bournemouth game? One of their players was through. Um, oh, it was almost exactly the same thing. Yeah, it was that. Uh, it was Adam Smith, wasn't it? He ran into the box and then did, did exactly that. Um, oh, God. He, his goal was some goal, weren't it? I really was, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't <laughs> was too long to talk about that, yeah. Um, I just noticed going back to the, the chat room, Dweeb was a little bit upset that we just didn't. Did, he said, sorry to hold an opinion that doesn't fit in. 
with regards to the uh, the Wickham uh, performance situation. It's all right. It, it's not. It, we don't. We don't mind that you have a different opinion to us. We just were disagreeing with you. That's how opinions work, Reeve. Sorry, mate. But, uh, no, to, no, to worry about it. It's no, just... you're wrong about that, Chris. Mm. <laughs> all right. Okay. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, no, look. You don't want to see any player dive. You, you know. And and again, I've been very critical. Like people like Shane Long, just you know, his whole thing of running in front of people and then stopping running so they collide and winning fouls that way, that kind of stuff, that kind of gamesmanship. I just I can't abide it. And when you see when you see what Wilf's done, you know, I've in the past I, I perhaps would have been a bit more defensive and said, look, he's he's actually he's anticipating contact. The guy's hung a leg out there, and it's not it's not natural for Wilf to to trip over that leg. So he's sort of been sort of you know anticipated it by going down you know it, but but you don't need to i mean can you can you hop over that leg can you continue running i don't know is is there not a better opportunity to keep on your feet I, let's let's you know let's let's win win by playing well and not win by cheating i think that's that's the right way to think about it and it could have cost us because like because as you mentioned patrick later on there was a situation where he was clearly fouled and the ref hasn't given it Exactly. But the ref, could, the ref could easily have looked at that as another dive and right. it again and sent him off. You know, and, <sighs> and at that stage, it's the first half, wouldn't it? Still we'd, would have only been a one-game ban, though. It, it would, it would have been. You're right, but we'd have had to play the second half with ten men and probably have only won four-one. <laughs> <laughs> we could have won fifteen one if that shots were on target. Oh, truth we, be told, couldn't we? We really could. Yeah, five uh, was was got away with it. We only got five. Definitely. Yeah, we took um, our foot off the gas, didn't we? For sure. Can I, can I just say, because people laughed at me, and I did say that when we put it together one day that we would give someone a hiding, and I think 5 ones a bit of a hiding. I said it, it is, ages it ago, and I, I think we could have, I mean, had that been 8 or 9, it would have been nice if it had been 8 or 9, because that <laughs> they'd have sacked that idiot on the spot, I think. I mean, I can't. Before the full-time whistle. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine fat dogs running down the front end going, get out of that fucking dugout. <laughs> get oh, a wow. you're not getting on our coach. Imagine that. <laughs> He's a director at Newcastle, though, isn't he? He's, I don't yeah. know if he has to vote on sacking himself. I'm not sure. <laughs> that works. Great. Um, so anyway, just before half-time, obviously, well, not just before half-time, we, we had a little break where we didn't score, but in the third goal, um, I think it was re- the reason I want to sort of pick, the thing I want to pick out for this was um, Suarez starting it because he, he intercepted the ball um, from a, a Newcastle foray into our half, um, and then almost instantly it was a great through ball to Balassi, and then all of a sudden we had Newcastle on the back foot. They were already backing away, leaving space, and um, took full advantage. The ball went to, to Balassi, stayed Wickham in on the left this time, and that's the one where he's just looked up and floated it to Zahar. He's even paused, waited for the exact right moment to do it, and. Okay, Wilf is probably fortunate to score the way he did because uh, he's, in, he's intended to sort of volley it down, but he's, he's you know, essentially scraped it into the ground and it's just sort of looped up and went in. But, you know, third assist in my book for Connor Wickham there. And um, it was great to see Wilf get on the score sheet because, you know, he, he does get does weigh in with, with a goal here and there, but, you know, it, it just has such an impact on him com- uh, confidence-wise when he sticks the ball in the net and it's always nice to see him celebrate. So it was, it was a great move. Um, I think he meant that goal. I think he he meant to score a Harlem Globetrotters goal. Is that is that skillful? You reckon? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not so sure. I, I think, think it's deliberate. I, honestly, I think it was too. If you remember back, Kevin De Bruyne did something similar. <laughs> if you hit the ball into the ground, seriously, one thing I wanted he wanted he wanted to get the ball onto goal. If he hit that ball on the volley, 
it would have gone way over the bar. So I think yeah, he meant but, to hit it down. Why he meant to hit it over the goalie's head, obviously not. But he meant to keep the ball down. The only way you can do that with that technique is hit the ball into the ground. I've seen it before. So I think Wolf's that good that he, he meant to keep the ball down. To score, I'm not sure. But keeping it down and get it on net, he meant to do that. So. I think so if he meant to do that, then he's a better player than what I think he is. <laughs> I, think he is. I think him running away and sort of making a few gesture with his hand across his forehead <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably gave it away. But he didn't quite mean it. <laughs> I'll be completely honest with you. But I think he deserved it. He absolutely deserved that for, yes, no doubt, for the no performance. Doubt. And again, even in our um, our sort of uh, uh, worst performances of the season, generally speaking, Wilf has been a bright light in that. And... Um, you know, he is bringing consistency to his game. And again, in the interview that um, Ben Nagel did with him, he, he did say, you know, the England call-ups are always in the back of his mind. And I think he's, I think he's coming. If he carries on the way he is, they cannot ignore him. Um, well, we say that. They, they do like to ignore Palace players. Um, but yeah, it's got it's to happen for Will. I, I think he's a decent bet for the Euros. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. I might have a look at the odds for that, because um, I think so too. I, I think he's, he's starting to... No, he, well, I've said it before. He's actually, well, I say starting to look. He's been looking for some time, like getting to very much back to the the very best that we've seen him, um, and he's yeah. added so much to his game as well. If we're gonna, and it looks like it will if he continues, Jamie Vardy's going to be playing up front with Harry Kane in that Euros more than likely. If they keep scoring the way they are, and if you've got a player like Jamie Vardy, you want him to be getting on the end of crosses and Harry Kane, and we, there aren't really many wingers if that do that for England. If he keeps scoring the way he is, Leicester win the league. Exactly. I'm telling you now. I'm telling you now. If he scores, if he scores, if probably one and a half, I'd say if he scores one and a half goals, hang on, I'm trying to work this out. A goal every scores, two games. Yeah, I reckon they'll win the league. Um, I'll, I'll, if, they, if that happened, I think Lineker's head would, ex- would explode with smug. And I think, you know... I just, I just couldn't have that. Cannot happen, exactly. Cannot happen. They're, they're playing without fear, aren't they, Leicester? Well, no, what, what joy it is to see a team actually play without fear and there's somebody different at the top with, with, with proper fans and ain't glory hunters. Let them, let them have their moment. I still finish, I think they'll finish outside top six. But I, I, hate, them, them have, I hope they lose. But, no, but, <laughs> but fair play, they're, they're, they're lovely to watch. They've got, they're, no. like, they're like we were no. when we first went up. They're, they've I, got that. Yeah. I, do you know what, Chris? I don't think you can say that as a Palace fan, mate. I think yeah. not enjoying that. You should. It's great to see an underdog doing well. I just don't like him at all. I don't like, I don't like Lesser. I don't like Ranieri. I don't like Vardy. But right. I'm not epoxy clappers either. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the clappers. And it's honestly, it goes back to the, it's not much further than the game this season because I think we should have won that game. And the way we and the and how we did, I just oh, I just don't like Claridge, it. Claridge, Claridge, Fedig. I don't know if you if you know many Leicester fans. There's some really nice Leicester fans out there, but there's some real horrific idiots as yeah. well. And <laughs> I, when I when I I just yeah, I just can't have it. Talk so, crap, so get that, bang. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's what it is. <laughs> I know I had to change it. <laughs> anyway, I've got in my notes uh, they could have been five or six just by half time. Uh, straight after the break, you saw Newcastle. It made me laugh reading the Geordie fans' comments on this. Like, take off, you know, take off an attacker when we're three-one down. <laughs> they concede within a couple of minutes of the restart as well. Uh, they went three-five-two. Gel's favourite formation, and um, uh, Lascelle, who's the sub, uh, fouled Wickham about five yards out. Kubai, uh, you know, just crosses the ball to Damo in the six-yard box. He heads across brilliantly, and Balassi's movement to get on the end of it was absolutely superb and that is that is just game over um but what about that for a set piece gents it was pretty impressive wasn't it 
That's what I said um, when I was writing about it. But Lassie, he kind of like, to quote um, Patrick, he kind of run a route like a wide receiver in American <laughs> football. Nice. But he did. He just he didn't look for the ball. He just put his head down and run where he was supposed to run in a sort of like a sort of fanned out kind of way. And, you know, when he looks up, taking that gamble, the ball's there and he can tap it home. It was unbelievable movement, I thought, from Balassi. But MacArthur was there as well, wasn't he? Uh, it was it was Wickham, but Wickham had sort of backed in. Uh, Wickham had sort of just backed himself into that area because he was kind of there anyway. Silence. <laughs> but anyway, there was two players ready to tap it in, which is what we want to see. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And I say again, that's that was the the theme of the game for us. It was getting people forwards, and I, I do like do want to point out at this stage that the, the difference it makes being confident. You know. The goal from MacArthur, as I said earlier on, was a, uh, the first one was a turning point because, you know, getting back into the game that quickly just seemed to flood the team with belief and obviously do damage to the fragile confidence that the Newcastle team had. But as the game went on and, and you know, we scored more goals, the, the sort of, you could see everyone was happy to receive the ball. No one was, no one needed to hide. No one, you know, played a rash pass really or anything like that. It was just so, so good to see us um, playing with a bit of belief and confidence. It became exhibition, exhibition match type stuff, didn't it? Almost. Yeah. It was one of those games where we olayed our own passes, then got bored and started trying to olay the Newcastle passes. <laughs> I still say, I still say though, it, it, a lot of it was down to, to punch and being, being proactive and, and using the ball quicker. Mm. You know, that really works. I think, just turn around and say, look, we don't want you to take people on. We just want you to pass it. You know, we've got Wilf and Yannick to take people on. I really do think, especially the second half, he had loads and loads of, of, of like I say, just easy passes to just give and go. And I, I, it really worked. Definitely. And um, to be fair, you know, we, we killed the game after that. Uh, you know, didn't just, I wouldn't say took our foot off the gas, but we, we just, you know, we just moved it around and just passed well. We got game time in for, um, for, for Jedinak. Came on for Wilf uh, relatively early on in that, that second half. Bamford came on the pitch, and and Shangyun Lee got some time as well as Wickham and Kabai went off. Uh, it was you know that was nice getting them a bit of game time under no real pressure. Um, you know Lee was quite unlucky not to score. Um, uh, you know at one stage it was good stuff. You know it really was, and and the icing on the cake because it deserved a fifth. You know it was well, obviously we we've said it deserved more, but I think the absolute minimum is it, it needed that fifth. Um, go on, Nick, before I get into that. Um, it's a shame, and uh, this is this has got to do with the we got rid of the reserve league, the combination league, and that would have been perfect time if if we'd had our own proper reserve team, we'd still have Kai Kai at this club, we'd still have Jake Gray at the club, and that would be the perfect time to bring players like them on in a in a Premiership kind of arena. Do you know what I mean? It's it's just a shame that football's changed that much that we have to loan these players out. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, they're, they're, not, they're doing we're doing well, you know. Yeah, you know, out there, and that's. And this playing first team is still, even though it's in a different league, playing first team football is, is a huge learning experience for them. And, and I think it's, I, I, I understand where you're coming from because you do, you do want these players to, to get that little taste of the first team to spur them on. You know, then you can say, you know, go and have a, go and have a month out after your little, you know, 10 minute cameo in the first team, come back and we'll see where you are. Have another little, you know, have 45 minutes in the cup for us and then go out again, that kind of stuff. That's how we used to do it if, you know, if they were close to close to developing, but I don't know. It's a bit like you say, football has changed and, and moved on to a point on that. But um, and I think the, the the loan system has made us poorer for having Bamford. But I'm sorry, I just haven't seen him do anything for us. He came on and ran about a bit, but was 
kind of ineffectual, especially when you've compared him against the performance that Wickham had had. It was, yeah. it was just, Some it just do- doesn't bring anything. Some, uh, I was talking to um, somebody who saw him play for us against Bromley in a pre-season friendly and confidently told me it's the best player he's ever seen in a Palace shirt. So, I mean, I don't know what the difference is. <laughs> Who said that? Who said that? Publicly name and shame that person. <laughs> His name is Tim Johnson. Really? And, uh, it's made up. It's, it's, made up. Uh, He's no, he's not. He's, uh, his son plays in goal for Will's football team, Rustlers. He's the Rustlers well, goalkeeper's dad. Look, sometimes things just don't work out at a club for a player. You know, there's, we always talk about you know players that just fit in at certain clubs, and you know we talk about how Dougie was one of them for Palace. You know that kind of stuff. It just clicks for people. Um, and Pat, Patrick Bamford is just not clicked here. Clicked for him at Middlesbrough. Had a fantastic season in the Championship last year. Um, He's just never really fitted into the system that we play. Um, you know, and, and I'll go back to it, the, the game against Shrewsbury. That was his chance to, to play 90 minutes you know, with you know, a fair few first-team players against a, a team that were of a relatively low standard. No, no offence to Shrewsbury. And he was one of the worst players on the pitch. And that, that was the moment for me that it was not going to work out for him. You, you, you want to give people a chance. And who knows, you know, he might... Might come off the bench and score a goal in a couple of weeks, and then just go go on a run of games. But I don't think that's ever going to happen for him. And I think he'll go back in January. So, um, no. But let's let's not get dragged down on on that. People have had their say of, of Bamford, and I, I think you know, although Wickham hasn't scored, you look at the performance Wickham put in, and that's what you want to see as as a Palace player. You, sorry, as a Palace fan, the absolute minimum you want to see from a player is is a hundred percent effort. Uh, yeah. You know, Let's not end on a on a negative though with that because Charlton lost again at the weekends. <laughs> he did indeed. There's the positive, and there's the positive. Always pleasing to see. <laughs> no, we've got there's, there's a couple of other little bits I want to pick up on through, through the course of the game that we haven't really talked about. Um, yeah, Joe Ward was one because uh, again, it was some it was a conversation that we had um, at the game where it was you know we've talked about his level of performance on, on this show before and how it wasn't wasn't great at the start of the season. Um, then it started to pick up, particularly against Chelsea. You go back to that game, and he was excellent going forward and defending. Um, and by the end, I think by the end of the game against Newcastle, he was he was flowing. But um, very unlucky not to score, wasn't he, Joe? Yes, caught me by yes. surprise. Then, <laughs> um, yeah, the screamer from thirty yards. You got me thinking. Had he put that ten foot to the left, that would have been. Very, very, almost the same type of goal as the uh, as the Bournemouth, the young fella from Bournemouth. But no, he's he's getting getting more and more back into it now. Yeah. You know, really pleased. And it's always nice to come into a game like that. You know, you get your confidence back with games like that. I mean, you know, you kick someone's ass and everyone's everyone's buzzing. They'll just take that into the next game. But yeah, really pleased for him. And that, as I always say, he's got God on his side, so he's always <laughs> gonna he's always gonna do okay. That's, that's right. Um, what I noticed yesterday with Joel Ward. Um, the way he's dribbling, it looks like he's been taking lessons off Zaha. His dribbling style has definitely changed, and he was breezing past players a lot more recently than he normally does. I don't know if that's uh, just something that I saw in my little weird and wonderful head, but to me, it, lo- it looked like he was dribbling a lot more f- effectively than he usually does. He's had a little bit about that about him at times in a, in a cup, you know, just in a handful of games. He doesn't do it regularly. I know exactly what you mean. It was towards sort of in, in the first half on the right hand side. Um, you know, he was he was interacting with with Zaha and Balassi on that side, and yeah, sort of little twinkle toes going on as he slipped by players. And he's he's got good quick feet. He has. He doesn't do it often, and I suppose he's not often in a position where he can. 
think when he's further up the pitch, he's prepared to take a little bit of a risk at times. He's a talented footballer and, you know, perhaps better on the ball than we think because it's easy to forget before we signed him, he hadn't really nailed down a position at Portsmouth. He played up front, played attacking midfield, centre midfield, defensive midfield, right back. I think the only position he didn't play was goalkeeper, as, as the saying goes, but um, I'm sure he could have done a job there as well. But you know. Would he, where, where would we have to choose him then in our... Um all-time 25 <laughs> his old... utility players what do we do with them it's a good shout actually but no he's very much a, a right back these days isn't he a um, couple of other little things to pick up on I was going to talk a bit about Pardew and his un- unwillingness to talk about Newcastle show him a bit of respect and then you read their message boards and he doesn't quite get that respect back they still properly hate him it's weird isn't it it's weird that they can't let that go when they've been I think the evidence is right there in front of them um, that... it's a Cockney Mafia thing mate it doesn't matter who it is if you're from London Unless you're going to go up there and score 50 goals a season, you're never going to get you're never going to get any kind of worship off them. They want their own, and that's it. It's, it's, it's so as simple as that. Yeah, they're so yeah, dismissive but, of Palace as a club as well, which is really they are. Yeah, but it, weird. Yeah, but, it, but it's great, isn't it? It's yeah, great. It, it, Liber- it's, Liverpool used to do that, and now now they fear us because every time we go up there. Every time we there's certain teams now that just go, oh, I've got to play Palace this week, and then they're going to lose. You know, you used to go to Anfield and go touch the sign and know you're going to go out there and get an hiding. Now the Liverpool players, and they, oh, we've got Palace next week. You know, the, the, the last twice we've been up here, we've done them. So I think I think we are, we have got like a I think we'll have a hoodoo over Newcastle, especially with as long as Pardew's there and and we've got you know the the, the links to Newcastle. I, I really do think they're going to start treating us as some some kind of bogey side. Well, I yeah. think that's 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 only the second time we've beaten them in thirty-one years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's not just a, that. wasn't That wasn't just we haven't not just beaten them. We've given them a beating, <laughs> and that's and that's the thing. You know, I mean, might be another thirty-one years. They keep playing like that, mate. They'll be in a they'll be in a championship next year, and that is a you watch then you watch how their fifty-three thousand every every other week turns into about fifteen hundred. You watch. There's a lot of people protesting and not going to those games just because of these results. Yeah, on, on on a side note to Chris saying that um, we needed a fifth goal in the game um, <laughs> my missus came yesterday and the last three games she's been Ooh, to uh, missus. was Sunderland away <laughs> Shrewsbury at home and Charlton at home she wow. must think we're fucking brilliant 4-1 four, <laughs> four in all of those right so I said to her before the game I was like we've got, we got to put a bet on 4-1 we've got to do it Put a bet on four one last kick of the game. Kick <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. right. to the gut. That is brutal. Absolutely wow. brutal. What did you have? Uh, we had it was fifty to one. We had two quid at fifty to one, so it wasn't anything major. And then on a side note to that, that Bournemouth equaliser cost me seven hundred and ten quid on my accumulator. Oh, that's, oh. that's truly horrible. You bet too much anyway, so don't worry about it. <laughs> he does. He does. If you see the little chats that we have, and he always oh, puts that win. So don't feel sorry from everyone. <laughs> is, this, is, this, um, is this just Terence trying to get us into a different category on the blogging awards next year? Uh, <laughs> doing betting as well. So well I might have in. a chance of winning something then. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that that was yeah. I, I, it was a great night because me and me and Ben were up there for that. Had a laugh, whatever you know. Drunk a lot of free Carlsberg, but pff, I weren't happy with the. Um, you get. The voting awards were always going to be won by your Liverpool's, Chelsea and May Knights because they've just got bigger fan bases. But to lose out to someone who's a Sky Sports presenter, it just seemed a bit weird to me. Yeah. Especially oh, weird or fixed? <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Terence. 
I don't know. Hayley McQueen's pretty hot. <laughs> you did, um, you did get girl. to see him. Um, you did get to see John Barnes perform uh, Rapper's Delight live, That's though, didn't true. you? That is true. It was kind of like... One of the highlights of your life. It was an embarrassing granddad at a wedding, it felt like. <laughs> yeah, I thought he actually looked quite good. Yeah. On, on, on the side note about the Hayley McQueen podcast, it is actually quite good. But is it as I, good as whole radio, though? That's the thing. Well, well, this is the thing, though. It just kind of, you know, you're getting a massively produced podcast there with all sorts of funding and so on. It just seems a bit weird. You know, I she like do naked it. news like they used to have on Sky. Do you remember? Sky, <laughs> the Sky first started, they used to have naked news. They also had Richard Keyes and Andy Gray. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, um, on, that, on that subject, Chris, just to finish off, yeah, it's yeah. particularly lovely for us who were watching via YouTube. I actually Chromecast it to the main family telly, so everybody, was, everybody had to put up watching the <laughs> was it, it, it wasn't that brilliant. But we waited and we waited and we waited, and finally it came on, and then just as they were reading the nominations out, I don't know who, who was at the event, but they went, oh, we haven't won. And I'd like sat there for hours, they need to be told. <laughs> It's probably Terence. <laughs> yeah, it was that, it was me. My bad. I didn't realise. <laughs> That's all right. That was funny though. <laughs> anyway, um, a couple of little bits. Uh, it was obviously we've mentioned there's the best scoreline in the Premier League for Palace. Uh, Pardew described it as um, it was the team at their very very best, which was uh, nice to hear. Although I still think we can actually get better than that. Um, uh, Righty is still tipping Palace for Europe. I spoke to him uh, after the game. Um, Man of the match type. Yeah, I always speak to him. I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> but, yeah, he, um, he's, he's, he thinks we'll finish uh, high enough to qualify for before, Europe. Before we move on to our man of the matches, can I just um, say, because there's a lot of this, you know, football started in the Premier League and it didn't start with the Premier League. So can I tell you what our top wins are in the top flight? Oh, yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, well, obviously the top win I... was the 5 the, no, the five nil against Man United. Was our top win? Don Rodgers. But we've won. We've won five one before in the top flight. That was against Sheffield United in seventy one, seventy two, and four nil twice against West Brom and Derby seventy two and seventy three and seventy nine eighty. Attack of the stats. It's the stat attacks. We're just going top flight wins, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Top flight, yes, yeah. Yeah. There you go. That was that was our new voiceover guy just then. If you heard, we would have heard that, yeah. Yeah, our best, our best win was 9-0 against uh, Barrow. Yes. Yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. And we've won 9-0 in the cup against Southend. We should, some of you should remember that. It was only 91. It's on YouTube. Yeah. First yeah. nil against Gretz. 13-1. <laughs> they scored. Pissing on my parade, Terence. That was the, uh, the uh, infamous Dobby game, wasn't it? Yes, it was. <laughs> he's going to take us to Europe. He's going to he's going to keep us up single handedly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, very very difficult one to call this the man of the match. I had a quick look at the BBS poll earlier. I told you guys the results, but um, that was between MacArthur, Balassi, and Wickham. With Wickham getting thirty eight point one nine percent to win it. Um, it was MacArthur second place, twenty seven and a half percent, and then twenty just under twenty seven percent for Yannick Balassi there. Um, a few other votes scattered around. Zahar got a, got a handful, but um, yeah, I don't know. We talked about between, being between MacArthur and Wickham. I went for Wickham myself because I just thought again they didn't have the didn't have the goal, but 
uh, everything else was perfect. And to get the number of assists he did, and just to lead the line the way he did, I think he was the biggest factor, the biggest change from the performance against Sunderland to the performance against Newcastle was his individual display. Um, he was absolutely superb. Uh, Terence, who was your man of the match? Um, are you all going to expect me to say Wickham? But I'm not actually. Um, it was almost impossible to pick between the three. But I've had, I actually gone for Balassi on the grounds of his. It just like as we discussed earlier, his movement. Pardew sees him as we as a centre forward. He said that you know he counts him as one of our strikers on the books, and I've never seen it before. But some of the movement he made there was just unbelievable and for the first time I've actually looked and gone you know what you could score goals as a centre forward so for, for his performance he's two goals I'm, I'm going to go Balassi OK well what do you think then Patrick? Um, I thought Wickham was brilliant yesterday um, if not for him he wouldn't have played as well or for me probably won the game uh, I thought MacArthur had a great match obviously I mean you could pick MacArthur any other match and he wouldn't score and so when he scores two goals you expect to pick him but I'm with Terrence I'm going to pick Balassi I thought Having the way that Pardew set up to have him, you know, first set up on the right and then go to the middle, I thought his movement was brilliant. I thought he took the goals, both of them, very, very well. The first one was his left foot, good finish, and the one, you know, after Delaney header to get to that back post, that movement there was great. And I just thought he had overall great game, so I'm going to go with Balassi as my man of the match. Nick? It was, it had MacArthur not had a bit of a dodgy spell first 10 minutes of the second half. He would have been man of the match. No, I mean, there were a few misplaced passes, yeah? Um, so I'm giving it to Wickham because I thought it was excellent and because of the, the, the part he played in the build-up to the first three goals, he was, you know, and long may he carry on doing that. that. That's my only worry. I just I just hope that it isn't, he isn't as what Sunderland plans, fans have told me, a one, player, one, a one good game in every six player because I've oh, seen right. what he can do. Let's hope not. He's playing in his right position and he's got a lot of support around him. So let's, let's hope yeah. that carries on. Joe, um, what's your, what are your thoughts? Uh, MacArthur, two goals, um, almost run the game. Like he does every, virtually every game. Um, and also because he's Scottish and they never win anything. <laughs> All right. Well, um, just having a quick look um, in, on the, what, what's it called? Twitter. I was going to say the Twitter. That would have been terrible, wouldn't it? Uh, Brent Morgan has, has, uh, has gone for Connor Wickham. Uh, man of the match all day long, he reckons. Um, I'll just notice some comments on Leicester coming in from Lucy and Bob the Eagle. Bob's talking about um, about how the Claridge shin incident was one of the worst things he'd ever experienced. Funny enough, I'll talk about that with uh, Phil Alexander in the interview coming up in just a moment. I heard him. Sorry, Chris. I heard him talking about that on the on Five Live the other day, and he said he meant that. He actually said <laughs> on Five Live. I swear to God, uh, he said he meant that. That's horrific. I heard what I heard him saying about it once that the only reason he was there is because he was too knackered to get up the pitch. So he'd, he'd gone to the person who was taking a free kick and said, wait for me to get into the penalty area. He didn't wait. So he was on the edge of the box when it came out, wherever the instruction was been, if, he, if they'd waited, like he said, we would have been right. going to penalties. Makes more sense that one, by the way. Hates him even more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, anyway, um, Got a couple in the chat. You reckon Nick? Of uh, anyone? Who's yeah. Well, Cool Eagles gone with Wickham. Booted Eagles gone for Yannick. There you go. It's a, it's a big, definitely from those three. It seems um, Wickham all day for me. Um, but yeah, great stuff there. Uh, coming up, just a second. We've got your forward reviews. After that, we'll uh, well, I'll uh, have a quick 
message about uh, the ultimate 25 miles board which is coming up again next week i'll be letting you know which position we'll be looking at during the course of the week and then like i say we'll finish up with the interview with phil alexander but next up is your full word reviews full word reviews i'm stale grammatics great response from ross Nicky Gossin, week up to extremes. Nick at St. Eagles, Wickham everything but goals. Marco Traversi, Alan Pardew supports Sunderland. Anthony Sheffield, Palace roller coaster, another high. Mark underscore Salisbury, Wickham, Balassi, MacArthur, incredible. Edward Porter, Palace bounce back strong. Henry, a new club record. <laughs> Mummy White, Palace Call the Two. Geordie Piffer, Pardew is our curvature. Mr. Johnson, perfect response to Monday. Four word reviews. Review the game next week by tweeting hashtag four word review to add whole radio. Every picture tells a story. Keep up to date with ours on Instagram at Homesdale Radio. There you go. Despite being promised there were no jingles after that, there was definitely a jingle after that. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> volumes are a bit weird on that as well. Apologies if that deafened you, particularly to the podcast uh, listeners who often get in touch, and well, not often, have got in touch in the past and have said that they get deafened by some of our recorded content. We'll have a, have a look at that for next time. But anyway, just bef- uh, this is usually the point where we do the Ultimate 25-man squad. Obviously, we didn't do a podcast last time, so we haven't really set that up. So... Next week, we'll be looking at centre-backs once more. Uh, during the course of the week on Twitter and probably on the message boards as well, we'll be getting out for some votes on that. Already in the squad at centre-back, we have Scott, Dan and Eric Young. Uh, the full squad being goalkeepers Nigel Martin and John Jackson, Dan Sansom and Young in defence, Zaha, Taylor and Thomas in midfield, and Wright, Johnson and Bright up front. We're still just the angry Northern Irishman, Michael Hughes, sitting in the bin. <laughs> All on his own, <laughs> but uh, you know, as we get towards the end of uh, end of picking that twenty-five man squad, I suspect there will definitely be um, some further people some in that binage. Bin. Some binage, definitely. Joe, uh, you wanted to make a quick point on Young before we uh, play out the interview. Yeah, can you imagine how many penalties he'd give away these days? If he played in the way that people just go down under a little bit of... I mean, I swear that geezer, he heard kung fu noises in his head. But I'm going to tackle this guy. And right at the last second, no, I'm, I'm going to break him. I think <laughs> just was like kamikaze football. But I loved him anyway. I, lo- I loved him. Absolutely legend. Anyway, um, that's it from us. We won't be back after the interview plays out. Um, this is a chat I, did, I met up with uh, Phil Alexander in the uh, new offices up at, at Sellers Park. Uh, just bef- well, I say just before the game, a farewell before the game on Saturday, where we talked about basically um, he was, he was a, uh, had a football career himself. Um, and also played American football as well. So we talked a little bit about his past and then how he got into the role he has now. And, um, and you know, and also what's going on, on at the club at the moment, a little bit of chat about the uh, ground development and also the US investment and that kind of stuff. So a lot to uh, a lot to get in. in a very, It was only about probably about 40 minutes, maybe 45 or so. Um, some really, really interesting stuff. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back. Uh, I don't think we've actually got a show next week, at least not a normal show because we're playing on the Monday night. Uh, we may do a sort of non-football type show on the Sunday at the regular time. Uh, if not, there will be a podcast, um, but we will confirm 
during the course of the week. So uh, my thanks to Tom for producing today, to Terence, to Nick, to Jell and to Patrick for joining me and obviously for you for listening. Um, we'll play you out now with an interview I did with Phil Alexander. Every picture tells a story. Keep up to date with ours on Instagram at Homestale Radio. I'm going to start um, talking about the early days. You, you had a, you know, you had a, a career in football. You started mm. off at Reading. Mm. Um, I believe that was was that youth. You came through the youth system there. Yeah, I was um, I was a schoolboy at Reading uh, as an, as a as a 14, 14 year old played in their youth team I played for Berkshire schools and um, I started playing football from a very early age so it's always, always been in my blood and um, Reading was my club and at the time they were in the 4th division so they weren't particularly in a good place at the time but uh, um, I played in the same youth team as Neil Webber you might remember went yeah. on to play for England and uh, it, it was great I really, really enjoyed my time there um, so yeah, you went on. You joined Wokingham Town from there. So was that a case of um, of not making the grade at Reading, or? Well, I, I came to the point of leaving school uh, at sixteen, and they did offer me an, an, uh, what was a, an apprenticeship at the time. But uh, my father was pretty strong. He wanted me to stay on at school, which was which was which was fine by me, and I did. And I, so I played um, for Wokingham Town as a semi-pro, but I also played for Reading Reserves. At the time, it was kind of a, uh, a position where they were pretty short on players were playing in the combination. They finished bottom pretty much every year. Played here a few times, actually, <laughs> against against Palace for Reading. But at the same time, I played uh, for Wokingham. It was a senior non-league level, and they were actually paying me some money, which was brilliant. Uh, and I was at school, so that was still important, doing my A-levels. So at that time, I... Um, uh, Played as I say, semi-pro for, for Reading, but I also played for England Schoolboys, which was um, a great honour. And in the second year of my A levels, I, uh, I captained England Schoolboys, oh, wow. which was um, a great achievement. And at that time, I was playing a lot more for Wokingham than I was for Reading. I just didn't see the Reading thing really taking 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 me any further. Um, so, unfortunately, uh, we played against Wales uh, for England Schoolboys under 18s at Carrow Road, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, I scored actually. We won three two, and the manager for for Norwich was was watching Ken Brown at the time, and um, I, he contacted me after the game and, and uh, said, "Look, we'd like to come and play some games." So I played some some trial games for Norwich, and um, I did my A levels, and they offered me a professional contract. So I went straight from from kind of A levels, non-league, straight into into playing professional. So that was a, a, a great achievement, and I had two really good years at Norwich. What, what position do you play? I was centre half. I was defender. Okay. Yeah. Um, so at the time, um, people might remember they, they had a pretty good team. Norwich. They had um, Dave Watson and Steve Wolford were the two centre halves that I was up against. Uh, other players in the team: Chris Woods, uh, who's now coaching; Martin O'Neill, who's now managing Ireland, as you know. Uh, people that I stay in touch with. So, it's, so it's, you know, it gave me a good, good grounding. And obviously, I understand what it's like to be in a professional environment at a training ground, mm-hmm. playing football. Albeit that I did make it to you know to a first team level which was a shame but um, it was a good grounding for me and even even now it you know, gives me a good a good understanding of what being a dressing room is all about and what professional football is all about. Mm, definitely and so obviously you mentioned you, you went to Norwich but um and, and you know a couple, couple of good years there yeah. then you went and played in New Zealand how did that all come about? Yeah so it, the, when my Norwich career came to an end Ken Brown broke me the news and we're not going to give you a no, new contract he said but we've had a, um, an inquiry from New Zealand do you fancy going to play in New Zealand and it was kind of heartbreaking one side because you're not being offered a contract and then being offered 
wanted something else to t- travel around the world. And I was a young man; I was only 20, 21. Um, and I thought, yeah, why not? I'll um, I'll give that a go. And went over initially for six months. Um, really enjoyed it. Played for Miramar in the uh, in the National League over there uh, when it was a, uh, was a National League. And, I, and even now, I've got some good friends who come over and we who, who I've, I've stayed in touch with all and all this time. And it's, it's it was it was a great time. But I went over there for six months. Came back. Played for Wokingham again. Um, uh, in in the uh, Isthmian Pre- in Premier League, and then I went back out there for a further two. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Two years. Um, and it was really good. I loved it, loved the time. Great country, some fantastic people. But at the time, I just felt that, you know, I, I really needed need to broaden my wings a little bit and come. So I came back and uh, uh, and went back into non league football at the time. I mean, it's, a, it's a great thing, isn't it, to go and, to go and play football in, a, in another country, in another culture. And I would recommend it to any of, your, of our young players. It's just, it just, it makes you grow up, basically. You come out of, of what is quite a closeted environment as a professional footballer. And you, and you have to, you know, you have to communicate. You have to, you know, fend for yourself, and you're in a new environment, different culture. New Zealand's not too far away from England in terms of culture, but but it, nevertheless, you still got to you look after yourself. And as a young man, you have to grow up very quickly. And I, I would recommend it to anybody, and if you've got an opportunity, um, and it was good for me at the time. It was, it was the right decision, I think, and um, I don't regret a minute of it. But we're doing a bit of research. There seems to be a bit of a gap between sort of where you finished in New Zealand and, and came back. What were we doing in that period? Any interest? Outside of football at that point, that I, was playing, I was playing uh, for Wokingham, um, and the, the time we're in the Eastman, Eastman premise. So there's a, a couple of years, um, sort of in the late 80s, I was working for my for my father actually. He had his own business, um, which I really enjoyed. Um, I hadn't spent a lot of time with my dad, and he was a big influence in me. And uh, he said, Come and work for me. So I enjoyed that. It allowed me the time to go and train and play football. And we had a good time with Wokingham. We got to the semi final of the trophy. We just missed out by a point by being promoted to the conference. Um, uh, way back then, so I had some some really good memories, some good players. In fact, I was the other centre half was with me with me was uh, was a lad called Mark Harris, uh, who actually went on to play for Palace. That some uh, some uh, some of the older fans might remember. Uh, I played with um, Jeff Hopkins when I was a bit younger oh, yeah. as well, who came also came to Palace. Um, so a few connections there. Um, so. Uh, I was playing senior non-league football um, and enjoying enjoying it and working at the same time, so um, that was great. And then it got to sort of the late nineties. Now a friend of mine, it's a real bizarre story, but a friend of mine played American football, and there is a kind of a, a sort of amateur non-league sort of setup over in, in England, yeah. and it's it's great. Some really good people, dedicated people, but it is very much an amateur uh, scene over here. But he said, look, we need a kicker. I know you can kick it. Come along. And, give it a go and eventually pestered me enough and I did and I gave it a go and I actually quite enjoyed it and so I did that for about 
six months whilst I was playing football, and it was it was bizarre. I was doing that on a Sunday morning, and uh, you know, the second or third game, I broke the British record and for a field goal, and I thought, you know, I quite, you know, it was all right. I didn't really understand the rules, if I'm honest. But then, then the World League trials came up um, in 1990, and it was the NFL who were sort of trying to broaden the, the, the league across the world, and they they created the World League. So what they're going to try and do is they're trying to get lo- local players to, to be in each team, supplement the Americans. And most of the Americans were either trying to get in the NFL or had been in the NFL. Uh, it was a good standard, and they held trials, and I went to the trials having been taken along by my coach. And I worked my way through a whole series of cars over, over a period of months. And eventually they said, look, we, want you to, we think you've got something. You want to come to the States and go to the big combine, as they called it, where they had people from all over the world come in into Florida. And um, it was about three weeks. And they eventually whittled it down from something ridiculous like 1,000 people down to about 50. And I was still there. And I'm looking around thinking, well, there's not many left here. I must have a decent chance of doing something here. And uh, eventually they, they announced the players that they're going to take through to, the, to what they call the draft for the, for the World League. So, and I was one of those. And then they had all the Americans come in for the draft. And there was another thousand odd players from America. So the, 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 um, the, the coaches, the head coaches of all the new, new teams, one of which was the London Monarchs, then had to choose his team. And I was fortunate enough to get drafted to, to the Monarchs, which was brilliant. So we've gone from a kind of an amateur scene, um, a whole bunch of trials, slowly learning my trade in terms of the technique and what I should be doing and actually understanding it probably a bit more than I did. And suddenly I'm in the London Monarchs, coming back to, um, coming back to England, and there we are playing playing at Wembley as a home ground. This yeah. is 1991. Yeah, I remember it. So it was about February, March 1991. So, And it was brilliant. And um, I really enjoyed it. I, I was working hard at understanding the role, understanding the technique, understanding what I should be doing, speaking to anyone and everyone that I could could about what, about um, the, the, the technical aspect of being a kicker. And, you know, and indeed, when, you, when you've got to go on, <laughs> understanding, you know, the, the, you know, what part of the game. And... and, and um, Really enjoyed it, and that first first year with the Monarchs was brilliant. And I was I did loads of loads of uh, publicity stunts, uh, pushing me around because I was the English guy playing in the team, and it was uh, some great memories. And I've got some some you know cuttings files, you know, it's really thick, and some some pictures and lots of memorabilia about the time, and uh, obviously pictures and recordings of the games. And it was it was a good time. And that first year we won it. We won the World League. Uh, you may remember it was nine, June 1991. We played Barcelona, and there I was coming out in Wembley. In front of 75,000 people and, um, and at the end of it walking up the steps and getting the world bowl and all that stuff it was and brilliant it was incredible how quickly you, you know that you went from you know playing play senior non-league football yeah, to that it was it was it was yeah. fantastic so and I, and I did that for two years and I really really enjoyed it and uh, you know it was a, a different sport a diff, completely different to to the the experience I had at Norwich which is again it was professional sport but it was it was very different and it, and, and there's lots of people ask me, what's you know, can, how can you compare the two? And oh, you know, look at the at the attention to detail that the Americans had in in just just the training um, and everything that that um, I I I'd gone through at Norwich, and it was um, a real eye opener for me. But I really I really did enjoy it. Picked up a learned, learned a lot, and um, it was it was good fun. And I ended up playing at Wembley twelve times, you know, which, uh, which is something I'll take take to my grave with me. It was just a great experience, and of course having that World Bowl ring is something that uh, I'll cherish, you know, forever. And it was it was brilliant. And I did so I did that for two years, and I was I was really pleased I did it. So I've actually played 
professional sport are two different sports, which is kind of unique, really. And, yeah. um, and I'm really proud of that. And, and a lot of those learnings and a lot of, a lot of that I, I kind of bring and obviously don't use American football in my day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did learn a lot, and it gives me a good... A good um, so a good sound, a good sound background to my understanding of what what we have to deal with now here at Palace on a day to day when you're dealing with players and agents and and and, and match days and what's it's all about and the preparation that needs to go into. It. Yeah, I read a couple of things online. You're talking about the um, it was more recent. I think it was a 2014 interview. You're talking about the fact that obviously we've got, they're playing get, playing games over here now, the NFL, and yeah. you know, and that's really starting to take off. I can remember at the time that everyone was thought that was the moment back in back in the you know, start of the 90s that it would really everyone would get American football in this country and it would it would kick on but it just seemed to sort of fade away and you're right there's there is an amateur scene one of our producers Tom plays amateur American football and Great. a lot of the guys have, have got you know have got their their NFL teams and we talk about them all the time well I don't to be fair they, they all chat about them. one of our presenters is from New York and these that's uh, brilliant and, and it's really starting to build an interest and what do you think I mean obviously you've got the, the games that are played at Wembley now um, they're getting a huge amount of attention huge amount of media hype but do you think you know they're on the cusp of something now in this country. I, I really do. I think the reality is is that it's, they started off with having pre-season games over here, mm. and then it got to the World League, and and really what 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 the fans want to see is the real thing. You know they, they understand it. They don't really want to see a, a pre-season game or you know or a pretend league. They want to see they want to see the real thing, and that's what's happened. So you've got to a position now. I think next year there's four four games um, in London. One of which is at Twickenham for the first time, which will be interesting, and three at three at Wembley. So it's a huge appetite, but it's not just from London. I mean, it's it's from the UK and indeed from mainland Europe. So it. There is a big demand. It's, it's Europe's team, not just London's team. Yeah. Um, sorry, Europe's fans that are coming, not just fans from from London um, to watch the game. So there's a huge demand, and I can I can see one day there being a London franchise in playing in the NFL. Lots of complications around it in terms of scheduling, uh, players, living tax. There's loads of loads of issues around it, but I can see it, and I think it it'll be a great extension for the NFL. And the Premier League, of course, now I'm obviously working with the Premier League and looking at what they're trying to do. They're, they're trying to do the same thing, but in a different way. The way that the Premier League are trying to do it is to, is to obviously partner with one of the biggest broadcast um, broadcasters in the States, with NBC. Mm. And the Premier League has just done a brand new six-year deal, which is unusual to do a six-year deal. Most of the deals are three, uh, three years to run concurrently. Um, in the, in the broadcast cycles, but the Premier League feel that, that it's a big market over there, and let's do something that's um, that's going to be very strategic, put a big marker in the ground. Uh, NBC in the last three years have done a great job with the Premier League rights, and they're going to take it forward and push push the sport uh, over in the states. And we get some good coverage over there. We get some good um, Palace. I mean, we get some good um, some good. Uh, uh, comments, very positive comments. Rebecca Lowe, who hosts the program over in the, she's a big Palace fan, and she makes it very clear, makes it known she's a Palace fan as well. And you know, we've got a bit of an edge in, in what we do. And there's a program going out actually in the next week or two that um, Steve Parrish and Alan um, Alan's been working on. 
which is being shown on NBC about Palace, and we'll put it out on our on our free digital channel as well for Palace fans to see. It's a great program, really good. I haven't seen all of it. I've seen some of it with Steve showing me, but again, it talks about us and our unique position, um, what we do in the stadium, what our fans are all about, what, a, what our club's all about, yeah. sitting here in this part of London, um, and we've got we and we want to play on that. We want to improve our profile, uh, not just in the states but all around the world. But we can use those broadcast partners to 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 talk about Crystal Palace. It's great for, great for our fan base. It's fantastic for obviously for our, all our sponsors who want to be uh, have exposure in those particular markets. And of course for the club, it just gives us some helps us build some real solid foundations to grow what is you know what we all what we all know and love as our club. Yeah, no, you answered my follow up question, but um, <laughs> no, that it's, there's been a huge increase in, in our engagement with the US sort of market. If you like, we've got a huge number of listeners in in the states now great um and, you know and downloads as well and they're, and they're probably i'd say they're they're they, they get in contact with us more often than people in this country yeah. they're just they're so desperate to be engaged with that so i can see you know i see it's a huge market for us to get into and obviously there's the you know the investment stuff going on at the moment which um we'll, we'll come to that in a bit i want to go a little bit back to um to your non-playing roles how did how did this happen how did you come into palace and, and get to this this position uh good question um I, I, I um, the monarchs, the monarchs folded, and they decided not to, to carry on for a following year. They had like a year's break, and then they brought it back again. You might remember they played some games. At, I think it was some at um, Chelsea and some at Spurs. And Clive Allen actually became the kicker. You might remember, yeah, so he yeah. sort of filled my shoes. But I felt at the time that I, I kind of been there and done that, and I needed to just kind of get a proper job, really. Um, but. Um, and, I, and I'd always been involved. I'd always enjoyed the commercial side of when I was in New Zealand and when I, I was working with Wokingham. I always helped out on the commercial side, and I had a real good, real good um, feel for that that part, that part of the business. And I wanted to sort of get stay in sport. That's what I wanted to do. I've done, done it all my life, and uh, I actually ran a non-league club um, called Bracknell Town um, for about nine months. And I loved it. Uh, there was an opportunity there. They had no money, and um, I ran the team. I did the cut. There was the manager, and I, and I ran around the club really uh, by trying to drive revenues in and doing whatever I can. It's very much hand to mouth. I, I convinced people to do all sorts, from give us carpet for the for the um, for the function room to put some putting full ceilings up to putting bars, whatever it could to get the thing going, to generate money to, so it could fund itself. The club itself was, wasn't doing particularly well. It was down the bottom of uh, the, uh, what at the time, I think it was the Deodora Division 3, believe it or not. I remember the first game we had was um, away at Aldershot. It was Aldershot, when they'd gone bust, they were relegated all the way down the tiers and they came back in our league. We had nothing, and it was like, I think about 3,000 people at Aldershot. And we drew. And um, and uh, I look back and I think, well, actually, the, the team at Bratnell hadn't won a game that whole season, I don't think. It was about, it was about October time. And uh, we drew 2-2, I think it was. It was a brilliant achievement. And I uh, look back with some with, with such fond memories. Um, so I was doing everything, really, to raise money for the club. Um, I uh, signed up Panasonic, who had a big base in, Brest, in, in Bracknell, as a shirt sponsor, and, and Bracknell never had a shirt sponsor before. So I did that, and um, within six months, and that was arguably the biggest um, sponsorship deal in the whole league, and, and we, were, we were in Division 3 of that league as well. So that got turned a few heads, and, and I also ran a couple of, had a couple of dinners to generate some funds, and one of those dinners was a, 
a chap who was a director at Swindon Town that I didn't even know he was there. And he loved it, and I pulled, pulled it together and made it a huge success. And he, and he had a chat with me after the dinner and said, look, we're interested in, in um, bringing someone else into the club uh, on the commercial side. Would you be interested in talking? And it, I thought, yeah, of course I would. You know, it's a proper job. But my heart was at Bratton. I, I put a lot of work and so, a lot of work into that uh, at Bratton. And, and even though I did it for nothing, pretty much, I look back now with really good fond memories. And that gave me a real solid base, um, my understanding of what football clubs, the real grassroots of it was all about. And, um, and I, I still look back with, with really fond memories. And I've got some good friends who still talk about those times. But I got the chance to go to, to Swindon. And um, I, I went, to, went to see the chairman and the board, uh, did a couple of presentations, and um, they took me on. And believe it or not, that was in the Premier League. So that was very real early days of the Premier League. So I went from Bracknell to to the Premier League. And that was my first my first season involved with the Premier League way back then. And uh, so I was there on the commercial side at Swindon. And at the time, it was a real difficult time at Swindon. Actually, to that lead that season, they finished bottom. And they went down. Um, John Gorman was the manager, and, and uh, he's a lovely fellow, John. And uh, they, he, they, Swindon kept him on in the second season, despite the fact we went down again from the Premier League to what is from the first division down to the second at that time. And so we, we were now sitting in what is effectively now um, Div 1, um, the third tier, having been in the Premier League two seasons before. And um, they uh, John left and they brought in Steve McMahon, you might remember, yeah. the ex-Liverpool player, yeah. hard as nails, but a lo lovely lovely fellow. And um, he's total football. He's, it was actually the opposite of, of what he was as a player. Mm. Uh, he was a player, he was hard. He, he, you know, he, he didn't shun any tackles and he, he went through a few people and uh, yeah. let people know he was around. And But as a, as a manager, his, his, his play was total football. It was, it was bizarre. Mm. And he really passed it around almost back to the previous Glenn Hoddle days when Glenn, Glenn got the team up before he went to, yeah. to Chelsea in those early Swindon days. And he played total football as well. So, And we, we won the league. We won the league that year, uh, and at the end of that season, um, I got a call from Ron, who who said, "Look, you know, I'd met him at a couple of league meetings, funny enough." Who said, "Look, um, and, I, and I'd also met him bizarrely when I was at Bracknell, because he, because Palace had a centre of excellence in Bracknell. Mm. Hayden Mullins came out of there actually." Okay. Um, and he, he um, because because I was running Bracknell Town, I was trying to get an, 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 an alliance with Palace there, see if we can get some players come to play for, for Bracknell Town. Didn't quite work out, but he remembered me. And, and anyway, long cut, long story, he offered me a job here. Um, so uh, I did. I, jo I joined, and that's my first season. We we um, we lost in the playoff final. <laughs> So that was nineteen. That was ninety six. Yeah. Well, so Leicester one. That was Leicester. That Clarity was a Steve Claridge Shinner. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. But then the following year we went on and we um, we went up, uh, which was brilliant. Um, against Sheffield United, yeah, Hopkins, and uh, it was fantastic. That, and after that was my first year in the Premier League. And then I remember, I mean, you know, Ron was Ron was had a few offers to to, to move on, and I like Ron a lot. Um, he gave me the job, and we had, a, we had a good relationship, very good relationship. And he said to me, look, at the end at the end of that Premier League season, he's like, you know, I've got, I've got a chance to to go. To, someone wants to buy the club, and um, I forget, I think it was February or March or something. We weren't doing particularly well in the, in the league, and. Uh, Anyway, so it rumbled on, and eventually he did sell it to to, to Mark Goldberg, and um, he said to me, "Look, I'm going to buy I'm going to buy Brentford. I want you to come and run Brentford for me." 
and it was a real heart-wrenching time and I thought I really thought long and hard I had a load of load of time respect for Ron but I decided for me um, that time wasn't, wasn't wasn't right to move so I stayed and I had a chat with Mark and he, he said he wanted me to stay on so that was great um, and, and, I, and I stayed under Mark and then you know the rest as we all know is, it was just a roller coaster um, over the last 20 years really yeah so. definitely mm. now I, was, yeah, I mean you, you mentioned working with Ron and obviously you know you, you said it was a positive experience and, and Mark Goldberg came in and, and obviously with the right intentions and you know promised a lot you know everyone was talking about this big future when did you sort of get the feeling oh, you know something's not quite gone right yet Almost immediately, to be honest with you, yeah. it just didn't. I'd, it was one of those things where Mark, he was, it was, and he's a lovely guy. I've got a good relationship now, and we do some good work with Bromley. And, but I didn't understand it. And I was saying, Mark, where, how, how's this business? Where's the? Where, how are you going to pay these bills? Who's running it? It's don't worry, Phil. It's under control. You don't really understand it. I've got two or three other businesses. They're all they're all doing well, and the football's going to spin off the back of it. So, okay, you, you know, tell me about it. And uh, it sort of rumbled on. But when you consider it, actually. When he bought it, I think it was about the the, the May or the June ninety. I think it was ninety eight. By the following year, less than a year, uh, uh, April Fourth, if I remember rightly, he went into administration. Yeah. So he didn't even own it for a year, and he spent twenty million quid on it. I mean, he, he struggled to spend twenty million quid in a year. Really, um, it's all gone, and. Um, it was just the one. They had one pot of money that was going round and round in several businesses, just getting smaller and smaller. And it, there was no real revenue being made. It was all speculative and hope factor. And, and um, you know, Mark, Mark did a brilliant job to, to, to build MSB and get it to where it was. And for him to be a, at the age of 32, 33, buying a football club with 20 million quid. I mean, you, to buy it to get 20, you, you've got to earn 20 million quid to, to buy it, and to lose it all. Um, you know, it's a, it's a story in itself for Mark, but you know, I I, I didn't I didn't understand it, and, and you know, is he, um, he just lack of controls really? That's that's basically what it was. So we ended up going to administration that first time, and I remember Simon Patterson, and we rumbled on for about a year. Peter Morley took the chair. Yeah. Um, in, in a in a in a titular role. God bless him. Um, at that time and we did our best to keep the thing going and all sorts of fundraising activities I remember and it was um, it was a really tricky time but uh, you know I do remember Ron obviously fond, very very fondly um, and, and Mark was a nice nice fellow really yeah isn't it still is still is a nice fellow but just didn't work out for him obviously yeah no, we're trying to, trying to get something to, to, to talk to him and get you know get his story as well mm. which would be good but um no you know it's from from a fan's perspective obviously fans will always you know get frustrated at people who put the club at risk quite understandably because it's their passion but when you look at what, what happened with Mark you can see any fan could do that any fan could could you know put everything into the club and not think about, you know, the risks and, and you know, be let down because, you know, his view is he got let down by investors, so... Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It could have been any one of us, exactly right. I mean, he's, he did what he his his childhood dream was and uh, it didn't work out, unfortunately. So I can understand people being upset because, the, you know, you don't want to see your club go into administration, but equally I can understand from his point of view how, how he must have felt. Yeah, We've got some great things out, you know, we've got to see Lombardo, you know, the mm. shirt, that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's, there's memories there for everyone. And oh, I, mean, I remember a particular, <laughs> a particular um, press conference where we were appointing Lombardo, 
as manager and Steve Coppel was going as to be director of football and I obviously could, I know Steve very well I'm still good, very good friends with Steve and we were sat at the training ground and it was it was bizarre because Lombardo couldn't even speak English and um, how how's he going to manage the team and uh, Mark decided to, to put him in um, and uh, there was a big dispute about who was going to be his number two because it was going to be Brolin, do you remember? Mm, yeah. I, I think Brolin was... And it was a big... Because it was kind of the time where Mark had just about bought the club and Ron was kind of still in charge and it was it was all a bit tricky. And Ron was saying, under no, no, no way was Brolin going to be a number two um, to, to Lombardo. And there was a big row before... And, and the press were all in, in the press conference ready to go. I remember it over at Mitchum and, and Steve saying, what are we going to say? Because Steve was going to kind of host the, the meeting. There's no way that Brownie's going to be number two. And Mark's saying, yeah, Brownie's going to be number two. And I said, well, what are we going to do? He said, well, we eventually decided that, that Brolin was going to be the assistant to the manager rather than the assistant manager because he can speak English. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we did in the end. But that was decided literally five minutes before we went out and faced the, the national press, which was bizarre. It was, it, was a, it was a strange time, I have to say. And uh, I do look back, it was... I can smile now, but at the time it was a, it was it was a bit disjointed to say the least. <laughs> yeah, and obviously you went from that to to Simon Jordan coming in and taking over. That was a, that very much a roller coaster period as well. Absolutely, um, yeah. Um, I suppose really it's a, a similar question. Obviously Simon was from the outside looking in. He was quite clearly somebody who wanted to do it and all do it on his own, and you know, if you like. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, when when did you get the feeling that that was heading the wrong way and you know, obviously there were there were good periods in that you know in his, his stewardship, but yeah, we had a season in the Premier League um, uh, after after beating West Ham at, in Wales, and um, that was a good time. It was a good year, uh, but it was all brief. We came back down again, as you know, and there thereafter it was a struggle. Um, you know, Simon was Simon was had uh, had a, a, a pot of money and. Um, and he was he was borrowing money at the time, and he was trying to get other people to come on board and invest, and he just couldn't he couldn't get it together. And in the end, um, it was a, a, a fund that he'd borrowed some money from, and they and they had charge over the over the uh, over the business, and um, they put it into administration. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was that was um, around about uh, January 2010. So yeah, that was that was a. That was a tricky time, and to do it again through the administration, having done it the first time, you know, it was it was, it was not not a, not a particularly pleasant time. But but um, you know, after that, it's it's come good, and we are here. We are today. Exactly. Um, final bit on that, I guess, is, is um, one of the things that obviously Simon was known for was what he said in the press and about um, you know about the league and football in general. Did that make your job harder? Um, at times. At times. Mm. Right, we'll leave that there. <laughs> obviously, um, got through that period, and obviously, 20, 2010 have come in. It's been a huge transition, um, and almost from day one, it was you know the togetherness of the fans was, was harnessed because that had come through that administration period. You know, genuine fear that the club wasn't going to exist. You know, and obviously, it did come pretty close. Um, but again, uh, you know, what, what was your feelings around that period when, when you know, when you when you met Steve Parrish? Did you have an existing relationship with Steve? Or? Yeah, I knew Steve was Steve was a effectively a, you know, was a sponsor of the club. He he'd been for many many years. Used to come into the hospitality facilities and we'd build up a good relationship. He'd come to see games whenever he could. He obviously was building a business of his own, a hugely successful business of his own, and uh, he could come to all the games. And um, he'd always have a 
he'd always talk to me about the quality of what the food that was being served and everything else that was going on just wasn't good. And, and, um, and we'd all have a bit of a laugh and joke about it. Um, but I knew, he was, I knew he was doing well, and I, and I knew he was an astute businessman, and we, and we got a lot closer. Once the club had gone into administration, what, you know, what were we going to do? And um, so I'm talking, you know, working with, closely with the administrator. You know, we had a tricky time at the beginning of that. You might remember when Neil left um, to go to, to QPR, and we managed to... We, we got um, Harty on board. Um, I said, look, you know, I've known a, a young man who could be of a coach. I rang up, I, I, I take responsibility for that. I rang up Dougie. I said, look, Dougie, we've got Harty on board. Do you fancy coming and coach? He was at South End at the time, and he said, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely, I'd definitely love to do it. So we, and, and, and John Pemberton as well, who was a, a young coach, looking to, to, to um, you know, uh, gain some more experience. So we pulled the team together, the management team, and and we. And we, we did it in the end, you know, we stayed up, which was a remarkable achievement under very difficult circumstances. So that, all that was going on with the team, and we were, we were winning games, and we were doing okay, having had the points deducted, but we had to stay up. We knew that staying up was important to the future of the club. There's some, you know, investors not going to come in and take a club in, in the lower league, uh, or, or they might well have done, but it was less likely, let's put it that way. Mm. So it was important we stayed up. And um, all the time I, Steve, I was talking to Steve about what um, you know, what we could, what could or couldn't be done, uh, and Steve was very keen to do something, but he he, he didn't want to do it on his own. Um, having seen what's gone on before with with the other guys, so perfectly understandable. So we thought, well, let's pull some people together. Um, Stephen Browett had already approached Steve independently, which was great. Um, I introduced Steve to Martin Long, and. Um, Bizarrely, I got got Jeremy involved um, through a telephone campaign, which was bizarre because I, I remember t- um, telephoning Brendan on, on a Sunday morning. I remember it? I said, "Brendan, that original list of people that inquired, have you got that list? Can I have that list?" He said, "Yeah, of course you can." I said, "And I work my way through it on the next Monday, literally ringing everybody." And there was probably about 100 people. Most of the people that expressed an interest were from the media. Mm-hmm. Um, or people just generally being nosy. But I came across Jeremy's name and I just rang him and I introduced himself and I said, look, Jeremy, we're doing this. I know you, you know you're a fan, you've inquired about it, do you want to get involved? And on the phone he said, yeah. Uh, which took me back a little bit, but um, then introduced Jeremy to, to Steve and, and that was the four, really. Mm-hmm. And so I played, I played a, a bit of a role in it, but... Steve was the leading light, and, and he still is. You know, he he was the one driving it, and he was the one that was there, um, really giving giving me the inspiration to do the work because there really was nobody else around. You know, we, we met some people that didn't want to be involved as well, um, which was which was uh, a bit disappointing. I thought might might do a bit. We talked to we actually talked to Ron um, to get involved in the consortium. Unfortunately, at that time he wasn't he wasn't too keen. Um, we even talked to David Gold, at, um, who was at, who was had left Birmingham but hadn't engaged properly with West Ham. It was just about the same time, so he was actually quite interested. But he, you know, West Ham was the love of his life, and, and um, we all know what's what's gone on there. So we talked to a few people that didn't didn't join, but but the four that came together, I'm really was really pleased that they did. They were really good guys, um, but um, Steve Steve was kind of taking it on from there, and. Uh, Obviously, I'm still there, and we're, we're doing our doing our thing, and and um, the, t- the club is in such a good place now. Yeah, no, it's it's phenomenal the turnaround. Um, you know, you could talk all day about it, really. But if the 
the other sort of turnaround, I guess, in, in that in, in the period that you've been at the club, it's got to be the finances. It's got to be the amount of money that's in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um, from you know, from your perspective, um, no, John, obviously as a fan, you look at you know footballers have been paid huge sums of money. They're, they're celebrities, basically. Mm-hmm. Now. Um, do you sort of do, do you feel the game can sustain this constant sort of? It's almost you know every year the money gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. Do you think the game can sustain itself like that and how it affects grassroots football and all that kind of stuff? Well, the, the Premier League is, is is such a successful league. Um, it is the league in the world. You know, everyone admires it. Admires the 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 structure of the league, the way that the money is distributed to its to its participants, the clubs, um, and it's kept the thing really going. I mean, it's it's a worldwide phenomenon now. You know, we be the players get the money because they are the talent that pulls it together, and and uh, and rightly so in many ways. But the clubs have got to be careful, obviously, not to overspend. You know, don't yeah. don't. Don't spend more than you got. Um, the short-term cost controls that are in place now are designed to sort of protect them close from, from themselves in a certain respect. And you know the aggregated profitability of the Premier League has never been so healthy. Um, so when you look at, you know, so we add up all the clubs and what they make and lose, and it actually yeah. it's, it's a profit. Uh, so it, it's, the, the league is in a really good place. Um, the league also, I mean, it does give away uh, a lot of money to good causes. Yeah. And to to other parts of the game, um, and sometimes we get a bit frustrated that that's not that's not shouted about enough. But it, it, it does do a lot, a hell of a lot of good, um, and it's great for the. It's fantastic for a sport in this country to have the number one league, and it's it's the number one sport in this country, and you know it's it's everywhere now. Um, and the, and the players are just not as you've already kind of said. They're just footballers. They're actually you know the pop stars of the mod, of today, really. Yeah. Um, and, and with that comes, you know, a lot of responsibility from the clubs. And we, you have to manage the club responsibly and you have to ensure that you don't overspend and you don't push the boat out too far in, in, trying, to, in trying to get that success, really. And there's, there's always a challenge for all of us. Definitely. So, coming towards the end now, um, well, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult question, I think, for me to answer, because I'm, I'm kind of narrow, trying to narrow you down to one thing, but what's the biggest challenge for you at the moment with, with Palace, where they are starting to establish themselves as a you know, a really decent Premier League team, been in Premier League longer than we ever have been? Uh-huh. You know, your job as, as you know, the chief exec, what's the hardest thing for you now, or the biggest challenge that you face? Well, you know, obviously I work... Steve's, Steve's my boss. Um, he's the chairman of the club. He's driving the business, and he understands that we do need to develop the stadium. He does, he, he, we absolutely have to improve the facilities here at Selhurst Park, and that takes money. So he's 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 driving some new investment investment into the business, which is fantastic. Um, allows us to to really push on. We need to drive our revenues up outside of TV revenues. Everyone gets the same TV revenues. It's what can you do outside of that that's going to try and give you an edge. So we are looking at um, you know new hospitality options, new new the enhancing the fan experience. But we don't want to lose what we've got as a club, which is that USP in terms of a tight-knit, noisy, loud stadium that is just us, really. Uh, It runs through the whole DNA of the club, so anything we do going forward, that will be certainly thought through. You know, we can't, we've looked for other uh, areas to put a new stadium, we've kind of, you know, drawn a line under that. So it's about developing sellers and how we can do that. 
uh, and we spent the last 18 months or so looking at different ideas and different plans and we've kind of got into a position where we know pretty much where we where we want to go now um, as, a, as a master plan it might not happen in one hit because we need to keep the stadium running at, um, while we do it and we need to finance it so once we get the, fi- the master plan approved and that means obviously speaking to all the partners of the club with regards to Sainsbury's, with regards to the council, everyone involved and then we can then crack on and start, start that in, in earnest and that's just so exciting for me having been here 20 years and seeing that come to, come to life uh, and I've, obviously I've, I've, I've seen some of the plans already uh, and when we give, show them to the fans I know that they'll love it I just know that they're going to think well brilliant this is, this is such, a good, such good things happening to our club but at the same time you can't take your eye off the ball you need to be in the Premier League you know, uh, and whilst whilst we're sitting bobbing around the top half this year, which is absolutely brilliant, and I'm loving every second of it. Every game we every, every game we win, I'm clocking off three points from that magic forty. Thinking, well, oh, great, it's only you know, that's only another twenty-one points, another twenty we need, or whatever it happens to be. Because staying up this year is so important. Because next year is the year one of the new three-year t- TV cycle, so the revenues go up again next year, which means we'll be able to do bigger and better things we'll be able to do work with the stadium we'll be able to you know go into the marketplace and buy um, you know one or two players that, that, that Alan wants that perhaps he wouldn't have otherwise been able to afford so it's some really exciting time we've got to stay up this year number one priority um, there's some, some big issues around, around, the, um, around the stadium and we're going through as, as a business we're going through some growing pains at the moment you know we've come from a, a, a championship club relatively having just you know been through administration where you, you lose you do lose some good people mm. um, and we're pretty threadbare and so we're kind of coming through that and we're, as I say, we're going through some growing pains we're getting some great people on board we have a good look at the management structure across the whole business and uh, it's really exciting times it's, it's, it's odd now because you've got us management people in the t- they haven't known championship or known it's Premier League mm. and you know it's you haven't got to go back too far with your memories. You start remembering those 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 dark days in the championship, what that was actually like, and very much hand to mouth. And now here we are, in the in the glow of the of the Premier League, and it's uh, it really is chalk and cheese. And we've got to keep 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 all the staff focused. We've got to keep everyone facing the same way. We've got a brilliant manager on board, as you know now. The training grounds development has gone has gone in. Um, the training ground looks a completely different place potentially looking at other training around facilities to, to really push on again on that side so there's lots lots to there's lots to um lots to like about where the direction of the club's going i suppose the a long way around of saying your biggest challenges are actually trying to define that direction and 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 give focus to one particular thing at a time to ensure that we do it properly but um all all, all good things the club's in a, in a super place the, the stadium's being packed out every week so yeah. Long may I continue. I think that's an ideal place to end that. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Phil. Absolute pleasure. Listen to Homestale Radio on the go using our Apple iOS app. Download at holradio.net forward slash iOS. <laughs> All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. 
SteveMcDonald's.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.